Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. Your self-confidence determines your future. Your understanding that there is no one that is smarter than you. There's not some doctor that knows more than you because they've had some education or something that you should just defer and think they're more intelligent. That's not true. What is true is you are capable with investigation of understanding everything that you're being told in the world. Don't be lazy. Do your investigation, trust your intelligence, your instincts, and walk in that understanding. This is like being in a murder trial where the murderer is the one doing all of your forensics. (laughs) It's absurd. It's the most absurd thing you could ever imagine being set up in a country that we consider free. We will now see the majority of this country turn against the CDC. And Harvard Medical School did a very important study, I believe it was in 2010. They were hired by the CDC, paid a million dollars to investigate VAERS and figure out how accurate it is. What percentage can we expect it's capturing of of the total amount of injuries? They did an extensive study, used their own database, and they concluded it's capturing less than 1% of the actual amount of vaccine injuries. And they're saying, we don't see a red flag at all. You don't see the red flag. It literally has been rammed on its <laughs> post through your third eye. I believe pharma is the most dangerous industry there is. An industry that has been poisoning and killing us and getting away with it for years and losing lawsuits over it. And it doesn't matter. They keep working. I will appear almost anywhere in front of every audience that will hear me because I believe my message is important for every human being alive. I think it's unfortunate that we've reached a place in a world where we're so hard in our opinions, we can't even listen to the other side. We don't have to agree, but we're all human beings in this. There's some fairly articulate and reasonable points on all sides of almost every conversation we're having. Well, you didn't come with much fire today. I would say, you know, a year ago, I would be much more, negative is not the right word, but very skeptical. And look at what they're showing you and look at what we actually know. Look at the work that you're doing, that Mickey's doing, and like, look at what they're uncovering and look at what, you know, mainstream media is trying to cover up. And so it is such a delicate balance because I don't want my kids to be, I don't want them to live under this heavy weight of like, I can't trust anybody. Right. Like, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Like, wh- wh- where do I go to? But it's like, as you said, instilling that, that it's beyond curiosity. Unfortunately, I wish I could just say, just be curious. Yeah. I think that's the start of it, but you have to have some heavy skepticism and start to, have your, you know, your own experience, but it it is challenging. I think where I'm trying to focus with my kids is really on the pot. The positive side of it is your self-confidence determines your future. You know, your understanding that there is no one that is smarter than you. There's not some doctor that knows more than you that like all these ideas that these, because they've had some education or something that you should just defer and think they're more intelligent. That's not true. 
What is true is you are capable with investigation of understanding everything that you're being told in the world. Do your invest. Don't be lazy. Do your investigation. Trust your intelligence, your instincts, and walk in that understanding. You know, and that's, you know, it's the best I can do. And if you're there, you, you know, you'll figure it out and you'll realize, you know, what you need to do next. Yeah. And you're, you're a living example of that for them, which is amazing. Yeah. You're not, you're yeah. walking the walk, yeah. you know, and for me, I think on some level, I'm trying to do that as well. And, you know, again, mine's, uh, safer is probably, uh, accurate. You know, but, you know, I come in and a little bit more curious than maybe the next guy. And one of the reasons I love having you on, because we get to explore these things in a way you have such a, uh, a, a, a level of grace and compassion for people who maybe see things differently than you because yeah. they haven't done their own investigation and, and that's okay. You know? Well, I mean, the, the truth is, is I really love people. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by people. It's, and we, you know, I've said this, but that's what drives me is that I don't see someone as opposed to me or against me. I'm just curious about how is it you're living in the same world that I am and you're seeing this differently? Like, lay it on me. Like, enlighten me into, like, I want to see through your eyes. It's, it's since I was a little kid, like, why is that person making that choice? Why are they saying something so different? And sometimes that person, when you investigate, ends up having a truth you didn't understand, you know, but um, it's sort of my path. I mean, you know, I always thought as a little kid, like growing up that, I mean, I, I was in theater. My parents were like theater people. And ultimately my dad started a church, you know, as a minister, but it was always like theater. But my other passion was law. I thought maybe I'd be a lawyer when I grew up. Um, and I think they are, were similar passions, which is what fascinates me about law is all of these random humans, all different types, different experiences that, you know, how do you get a, a world where they can all walk amongst each other and get along? What are the, the, the least amount of rules and how do we set rules and how do we enforce those rules so that it's fair for these totally randomly different people all crossing paths all the time? And theater is is similar in that as an actor, you really, if you're, if you take it passionately, you know, you're not in there. I don't, I, I never wanted to be like a movie star. That wasn't what drove me. It's, can I just get lost and actually feel what it's like to be a different character, to think differently than I naturally think? Can I, you know, and so I took method acting classes, which were very much this idea that you can trigger sense memories that you've had to actually feel a character yourself that may be not who you are. And so, you know, it's a study of humanity. And so all of that is sort of in my background. And I bring that to my love of journalism. And I've been, it's just been such an amazing experience to get to literally interview, I think, some of the greatest scientific minds the world has to offer over the last two years that now they're calling me and saying, look, all my friends are saying you're the only one that's going to let me tell my whole truth. So even though I judged you before, sorry about that. I want to come on. And it's been amazing. Yeah. Not only scientific <laughs> minds, but guys like Alex Jones, which we'll oh, get into wow. later, yeah, which yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to, to unpack that. But okay. I mean, your, your work with, with your show, The High Wire, your, and I believe uh, I can, the Informed Consent Action Network 
funds. So there's a connection there. Yeah. You do a lot of work with that. You raise a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, before I forget, and I know Lindsay will put this in the show notes, but um, I can beside.org yeah. is where people can go find out more, support your work. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk a lot, I think today about the work that Aaron series doing yeah. and what's come out recently with the CDC. Unbelievable and- moment in history right here. I opened my show up yesterday and just said, today will be a day that there's an infamy. Let's, uh, let's talk about that. You know, sort of playing off of, you know, Roosevelt. But, um, you know, CDC, ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, um, just ruled, you know, recommended to put the COVID vaccine on the childhood schedule, um, which is... I think, and then I said, I tweeted out the day before if they do this and I, there was just, we all wrote in, we all tried to make our point, which, you know, they give you that opportunity. Writing was on the wall, but I, I believe that day yesterday will mark the beginning of the end for the CDC. I think you now, I think officially as of yesterday and everyone as they, there's a lot of people that are asleep at the wheel, but it'll become obvious when you can't get into school without getting that COVID vaccine, your kid can't go to preschool in the states that start enforcing that, we will now see the majority of this country turn against the CDC. So it's one of those things where you're like, we fucking knew this was going to happen. And I, I, you know, I don't know shit about shit, but I remember when the vaccine was introduced, I had said to a couple of my close friends, I go, you know, this is, they're going to put this on the childhood schedule. No, 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 this is, you could do this already. I don't know, 65, 70. I don't know what the number is. Like, well, prior to COVID, COVID will officially, well, I mean, it depends on what state you're in. There's some changes, but in America, for the most part, this will be either the 17th or 18th vaccine added to the childhood schedule. But remember those, you know, for all those, like there's basically 17 diseases or illnesses that you can catch that are covered by vaccines. but Many of these take three, four. I mean, look at what is this COVID going to be? Is it going to be a six-shot regiment? You know, so it ends up being seventy-two vaccines by the time you're eighteen because you're getting them over and over and over again. You have this grouping of, you know, if you look at the sort of the DTaP vaccine, that's three, you know, elements in one: diphtheria, tetanus, and 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 pertussis. Uh, you'll probably see a flu COVID combo shot they're already talking about. I mean, it's just, and none of that, none of that will be properly tested. Can we give these two viruses at the same time? CDC will never care. Uh, The pharmaceutical industry will never ask a question. And so they will just run human bodies through this giant experiment. And everywhere there's a red flag, they will literally just put a blinder on and say, I don't see it. It's, it's, and COVID is the worst example of this we've ever seen. It's, it's so incredibly shocking. I did a massive show yesterday laying out exactly the state of the world as we are sitting in when they made this decision. I said, I mean, I said to my team, we are going to lay a time capsule on this day so that we now know as the moment the CDC is making this decision at the EU, they are now a panel and an investigation going on demanding, you know, indictments against Pfizer. You have them demanding their money back because what they are calling a fake medicine, saying this vaccine, because they asked the question. We all saw it was just about two weeks ago, um, 10 days ago or so. uh, um, Borla, Alex Borla, who's CEO of Pfizer, didn't show up to the inquiry by the uh, European Union 
he sent an underling, another president, just lower than him. And the question was asked, did you ever test to see if this vaccine could stop transmission prior to it being marketed to the whole world? And she says, no, we never tested for that. We were moving at the speed of science. Uh, it has blown the world wide open, of course. And I pointed out, you know, that on the high wire, you would have known that that was the case a day before even got emergency use authorization. As soon as we saw the writing and a week or two before that, there's a great article that had come out BMJ and uh, Peter Doshi, one of the um, um, editors for BMJ pointed out, look, folks, I'm looking at the Pfizer data. They haven't, they didn't even attempt to prove it could stop transmission. So this entire program has been built on a lie. The world was lied to. It is going to go down as the greatest fraud ever achieved against the entire world. Yeah, and so in, it, under that, CDC just still knowing that with all that information floating on the internet, to their guns. they're sticking to their guns and they're going to push this vaccine on the kids. It's outrageous. So it's one of those things, again, as, as shitty as the whole thing is, it's what's needed to happen to expose to more of the, of the folks that are asleep and hopefully enough. And it, it's great to see the EU mm-hmm. saying, yeah. you know, this aggression will I mean, not look, stand. They're not united. I'm sure you're, you're talking about the sort of, you know, you know, a group of politicians, but they are, when you watch, when we played a lot of what they're saying um, in, on this panel, on our show yesterday, when you hear the language that they're speaking, they're asking all the right questions now. Like the, this is, it's on. You can't. And, and once we have elected officials, we have some here. We're going to a very important election here in America um, where, you know, you got Senator Ron Johnson. That guy is fighting for his life. If we don't get him in, that guy will head to hearings against Tony Fauci on, you know, uh, withdrawing, like, you know, blocking ivermectin hydroxychloroquine from people that needed it. We could have saved at least a half a million people in America. I believe they were murdered because the choice is made by Tony Fauci. If we want indictments, if we want to be moving toward that, man, Ron Johnson up in uh, Wisconsin needs everyone's help right now because he's, the, he's really, and I, and I mean this, of all of the, the senators and congressmen we have, he's the only one that's been that bold. I mean, Rand Paul's been great on gain of function, but that's a very contained, careful place to be. Ron Johnson spoke out against the vaccine, brought in the people being injured by it, Put it in front of the Senate. So, I mean, and there's other guys like that. Um, um, yeah, Rand Paul, I'm trying to think of uh, a couple other guys. Massey is, has been pretty good on this, but, you know, depending on, and look, I, 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 when I'm on the high wire and speaking for, I can't, I'm speaking for myself here. I can't talk about these things. I can't be political. But honestly, you know, these guys in and a Republican majority could shift. Uh, you know, could put us in line with what EU is doing, which is beginning true investigations. What are the um, early numbers showing congressionally right now? Well, I mean, it looks like in general, Republicans are looking pretty strong. You know, it feels like it's moving that direction. And, and by the way, I will still say I'm politically marooned. I was a progressive liberal my whole life. I'm not, I don't consider myself a Republican. A lot of beefs with what's going on there. But at the moment, there is a certain shift that needs to happen for the people, the couple of people that I really care about. They need to have the power. They need to be in office to actually make a difference on this, in this conversation. And then for, for people listening, just for context, today's August, uh, October 21st. So yesterday's episode would be the yeah. 20th. Yeah. 
Um, not sure when this will come out, but as, as always with you, Dell, they're always evergreen. So whenever, yeah, well. whenever they come out, they're very, uh, timely. Let's talk, uh, let's get into the, the work that ICANN has done in suing the CDC for the, um, is it V-Safe? Yeah. Yeah. So there's. Walk us through that process. Cause you know, in, in looking at it, it looked like it, the original lawsuit um, was filed and it took 463 days. Is that right? Yeah. For, for, for the, for y'all to get your for, victory. First of all, you have to have context at this point, because I think what's fun about it from our perspective, and I think, you know, people just see us report on these things, but you have to understand that um, we have used FOIA freedom of information act requests uh, in a way that it was never, ever used before. And we use it more, I think, than any organization ever has. And so in many ways, uh, our understanding is there's basically a department now that exists to handle us. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like, who's this ICANN group? They're like, oh, Jesus, what does ICANN want now? You so know they've I mean? created yeah. a whole department. Oh, yeah. And Aaron Siri, like every lawyer there knows him. Like, you know, you had to understand. And, and this is something I didn't understand about law, really. And, and uh, is that there's this sort of way that lawyers, even though they're on opposing sides, they're kind of chummy with each other. They develop these relationships. And if you don't understand that, like, you know, and I've been around family that have been in lawsuits and it really pisses them off when they see their lawyer talking to the other lawyer. And you don't realize that's actually how this works. Lawyers, they're not like taking your side emotionally. They're like, I have a client that has this. They could just as well have been hired by the other side. And so they talk like, and it's something that you don't understand when you, you're not in law. And I've really come to try and understand this because Aaron is so great at it, right? He's such a great person, a great personality, and he's so knowledgeable that he develops these relationships with these Department of Justice lawyers, you know? I mean, it's not like they're going out and partying together, but they have a mutual respect for each other because they both have clients and like, come on, let's be realistic. And he probably appeals to their humanity. You have to. And and like, you know, bro, I don't, you know, if it was you and I, I'd be like, Cal, look, man, I don't want to waste your time, Okay. And so this is what happens. We, so we file a Freedom of Information Act request saying, look, this V-safe data, let's explain what it is. The CDC knew that we were rushing this vaccine onto the market. The emergency use authorization is the same as essentially saying a right to try, right? We've heard a lot about that around drugs. Like if I'm dying of cancer or a family member is dying of cancer, why can't I try this experimental drug that's in the middle of safety trials? Who cares if it's safe? I'm supposed to die in four weeks. I'll take the risk. Yeah. And, and these companies would deny access and the FDA would deny access saying until it's proven to be safe. And this is what's so amazing about this vaccine conversation. You could be dying of AIDS. You could be dying of cancer. And safety is so important to the FDA, they wouldn't let people try it. If we're something that there are, we know you're going to die. We don't know if this product will work, but what the heck difference does it make? And then Donald Trump did a lot to try and free that up saying, well, let the people try it. It won't affect, you know, and, and you have to understand the drug company also doesn't want if that person has a bad effect. Maybe they weren't the right candidate. They didn't bet them out. They don't want the product to look bad. So there's all of those decisions going on. But when you think about a right to try for a vaccine, this is essentially we're, to, we're in the middle of safety trials. We have no idea if it's safe, 
but we'll let you try through an emergency use authorization. But nobody's dying here. You're not dying of cancer. You're not four weeks out from death. In fact, this thing had a death rate of 0.27%. And for kids, it's like 0.0002% risk of dying. So to have it a right to try for a product that has no safety established when there is no risk to the virus itself, I mean, you might be able to argue for people over the age of 80 that were suffering from at least three or four comorbidities like COPD, diabetes, heart disease. All right, you're in a very high risk category. We could say that, you know, perhaps you should be involved in a right to try. Okay. But anywhere else, and by the way, it's still EUA for kids. It is still a right to try product that was just mandated by the CDC under the childhood schedule. That's crazy. We've never seen that. Yeah, and that's the other thing that's like, it's not only is it a a right to try, but then it's being mandated. It has been mandated. You're being forced to take a right to try product. I mean, (laughs) we have turned science on its head and made it dangerous, assaulting people. I mean, so, okay. Um, you can tell I'm passionate about this. Yes. And uh, this so <laughs> I, I do want to ask you one question about okay. the Freedom of Information Act. Yeah. Its original purpose was this. And now you okay. you all have so kind of moved, shifted. Yeah. So the Freedom of Information Act request is an ability. You have to remember that in the United States of America, and we still have this system, and it's still the greatest country in the world, even though we're making some grave errors I am, you know, and the government, and I feel like the government power sees me as an enemy. And I'm like, I'm just fighting to get back to the great country we should be. And my belief in democracy and capitalism and all of it. I mean, let's, you know, we're off track here. But Freedom of Information Act is basically, they're our employees. They work for us. And we, we really have lost track of this, right? Our constitution and our bill of rights are not laws that sort of dictate how we live. They're laws that dictate how, what our government can do to us. So how much power they have to infringe upon our rights, which are endowed in us by God. I mean, that is what our constitution states. So our rights aren't given to us by the constitution. They're not given to us by our government, They're given to us by God. And the constitution tells the government how much you can even go near somebody's rights. And we've got to remember that we're off track now. Big time. Where we think the government has us on a leash. The truth is, no, the government is on our leash. We're holding the leash. You, you, you know, get back in your collar. Maybe we need a choke chain right now to retrain this dog. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And you know, this whole generation of kids is growing up and that's all they've known where we grew up in a different world. Yeah, totally. Now we're right. still fucked up when we were yeah. growing up, but just not yeah. nearly as much as today. So Freedom of Information Act request is one of these things that exists in a nation like ours, which is basically just like if I own a company and you're using my servers and my email, I get to read your emails. I get to look at your Facebook. I get to say, hey, that doesn't represent my company. We get to do the same thing to our employees, which is the government. So Freedom of Information Act requests basically says, I want to see your emails, Tony Fauci, between you and, and Redfield when he was head of the CDC. I want to know, I want to see every email where COVID-19 vaccine is mentioned. I want to know what the two of you were talking about. And guess what? I get to look at it. I get to see that. I get to demand that. And so those are the types of things you can do. I want to know what Tony Fauci knew about remdesivir or ivermectin. So every, and you have to be, you can't just, you know, but I want to have every email that Tony Fauci mentions the word ivermectin. We get to see those things. Okay. So that's, so we can get behind the scenes of what's happening with our government. What 
or, you know, um, yeah. Or we want to know what scientific study was done to achieve this safety protocol or whatever. And then we get to see it. So in this case, V-safe, which we'll get to in a second, we would get to see that data. That's, that's government data, which means that's people's data. It's our data, not your data. That's our data. We get to look at it. But what we did differently, V-safe isn't the, the right example, but where we really, and there's articles been written and tacking, and Aaron wrote a great article that got picked up by Bloomberg Law. What we did differently, and this was something that when I first met Aaron, um, Right when I mean, really, I was starting the informed consent. I was going to say, I do. I want to yeah. get into the origin story of yeah. this, this relationship because it is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's some. I'm of sorry, it, I'm pulling you, and there's so many different ways, but so I know. No, no, this is you know. It's, I, I know, you know the pro that you are. You're going to pull it all together for me absolutely. beautifully. I've got a, it's all sitting there in some <laughs> alphabet soup. We'll, we'll make something yes. out of it. <laughs> um, you know, I met Aaron right at the time I had come to, I'd been on tour with Vax, the documentary that threw me in the middle of all of this. Um, we've already talked about that. So let's just go watch the other show if sure. you know what we're talking about. So I'd been on tour for a year. We were traveling the country with this Vax bus. And on the side of it, people were signing the names of their injured and children who'd passed away, family members. So it was this, this traveling memorial. And I was doing Q and A's after every screening. and. Um, Aaron and his family had come uh, to watch a screening in the Hamptons. And he came up to me afterwards and, and said, I'd like to talk to you about, you know, um, the, uh, the legal ramifications for some of this. And, you know, I, I want to say there's a, and I've talked about this before, there's a miraculous movement that is happening around me. I can only, I mean, I don't mean that. I mean that in when people say, thank you for your sacrifice, Dell, I wish someone could hop into my, I wish everyone that thinks that could hop into my body and walk in the world as I'm seeing it. There's, there's something incredible going on. So for instance, one of our primary donors um, uh, had, uh, you know, really been helping us get the bus, stay on tour, really helping make all of Vax possible. And I, called them and said, look, I'm going to be in the Hamptons. I haven't seen you in a while. Love to just catch up. In that meeting, um, they came and said, uh, Dell, the work you're doing is amazing. The tour has been amazing. This film is all over the world. It's so exciting, but we really need a legal strategy. And, you know, we've been funding and trying to help you, you know, with this film and everything and this tour, but we feel that the work you're doing talking to politicians now. And I was, I was leaving the bus a lot. I was flying everywhere. Every time there was a bill coming up, I would go to that state Capitol and I would talk, you know, I'd talk to the politicians. I would speak to the health department and I was having real effect. Like I realized, oh, wow, I have a talent here. And, and so uh, the, this group of donors was sponsoring that too. And they said, look, we feel like this tour is doing what it needs to do. Polly Tommy, my co-producer, was doing such a brilliant job recording all of the vaccine injury stories that people were sharing after they saw the movie. Thousands of, of stories that, that we collected, uh, painful, hard stories. And, uh, but um, this, this, this great donor sponsor um, said, I want you to focus on the legal strategy. We need to find a lawyer. We need to find a lawyer that can get in the courtrooms because there's one thing to talk legislation. There's also the court of public opinion. But if we don't figure out a way to win in courts and start shifting this, then 
what, what will we achieve? And so I said, you're right. And I, and I said, you know, I've already been, you know, I've been meeting with lawyers. I met with Danny Sheehan. I mean, I met with some big lawyers like Danny Sheehan was Karen Silkwood's attorney, big famous, you know, the Silkwood, like where she got radiated There's a whole movie about Silkwood. With I don't Meryl know Street. familiar. Oh, geez. Yeah. So, you know, huge stories about, you know, people that like were whistleblower, big whistleblower attorney. In that case, it was nuclear regulatory agency in a nuclear place where this woman was being radiated on purpose because she was speaking out about the dangers of the facility she was working in. You'll, you can see the movie with Meryl Streep. Damn. But anyway, so he was one of the, like a big, big guy like that. And, and, and others, um, um, Ralph Nader, we, I, we, I met with some lawyers that run Ralph Nader's, you know, which this would fit into that. This is a product that is not properly tested, you know, but it's scary for all of them. And they all said the same thing. Dell, there's, there's, we've looked at, we we've looked at it, you know, we knew we were meeting with you, but there's really, you know, there's liability protection, right? We can't sue them. And I was like, yeah, I know this gotta be. So everyone's telling me there's no way in. And explain that for people, the liability, because okay. that is a huge piece. It's huge. It's huge in, in that. Uh, Arguably in, signed in the law for the right reasons. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we could, we, how many rabbit holes we okay. want to open up here? <laughs> Cause I'm passionate about all of them. I, I mean, that's such a fascinating, the 1986 act you could talk under Reagan, about, right? about under Reagan. So the, you know, let me try to give the, 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 the quick. Yeah. Give me the elevator pitch. You have in, in 1986, you essentially have the pharmaceutical industry stating to the government, we are losing so much money from death and injury lawsuits on vaccines. We can't make a profit. Okay. I want, I mean, people can hear that. You got to really let that sink in. They made a profit off of Vioxx even after they paid $3 billion for having lied about its safety, right? So it's not that like problematic products don't make money. Talcum powder just paid out $3 billion because they we now know they always knew there was asbestos in it. They were literally letting us sprinkle asbestos on our babies after we gave them a bath. I mean, these companies are sick, they're twisted, but they make a profit. This product was so bad, vaccines. <laughs> that they couldn't make a profit. I mean, I want you to wrap your head around that. Yeah, I'm okay? going to take back what I okay. said, that it was maybe done with the right, it was it was sold with the right intentions, right. but it was completely, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so let me, and this is important because a lot of people just see it as just evil and bad mm -hmm. guys. There, there is something important here, which is that you had several groups at play here. You also had, and, and if you talk to Barbara Lowe Fisher, who had an injured child, injured, I believe by the, DTAP, uh, the DTP vaccine, I think at that time, she really spoke out, wrote books and, and really is one of the, uh, the, the matriarchs of the, of the anti-vax movement or the vaccine risk awareness movement. Um, she was fighting to pass the 1986 act. So you had the pharmaceutical industry wanted liability protection saying to Ronald Reagan, we're going to stop making all vaccines because we can't make a profit unless you take on the liability, you take on the liability and anyone that wants to sue this product, you let you, the government handles it, then we'll keep making these products. Now, at that point, you have to remember Barbara Lowe Fisher and those parents like her, whose children were, you know, some of them incapable of living on their own after vaccinations and every form dying. You're trying to sue the pharmaceutical industry, which is this powerful empire. So just imagine how many appeals, how many lawyers they have, how long they can drag that out. And you just, as a regular person, you got no chance, right? And so what she saw was 
if we make an agreement that we will protect you from the liability and the government will create a no fault court system where we know these injuries are happening. They just told you they can't make a profit because so many of these injuries are happening. So the government will just say, look, this is the casualty we're accepting to, to get to herd immunity. So pay that casualty out. Okay. For that small group of people, whatever, however small that is, no one, no decent science has ever been able to give us an idea what that is. She said, make a court. We'll agree to it. We'll support this decision. But these parents will walk into a court, say, my child has autism. They stop speaking after whatever vaccine. And the court will be a really almost a no fault, you know, very easy to say, you know what? We're going to take your word for it. Here's a million dollars to take care of your child that you'll probably have to take care of till they die. And that was what the agreement was. That's what she thought this would be. It became anything but a no fault system. It became the hardest court to win in there was. Why? Because as soon as, and Ronald Reagan hated this law, by the way, he didn't want to sign it, but all these lobbies were on from, from both sides. I mean, you're, you're getting from both sides. You got the people being injured by the product and the ones making it both saying, no, we agree with this sign right here. And he was like, I think you're all kind of stupid, but we're going to do this. But let me get, put his point in, because this may be the most important. The reason he goes along with it is there's a third issue. And that issue is the protection of the United States of America from biological attack. And this is the driving force, I believe, that no one talks about of the 1986 Act. And it's the one that I actually can come to reason with. I, I, I think I feel like if I was Barbara Lowe Fisher, I'm not sure I would have made that choice. It's easy to play armchair quarterback, say, you know, you can't trust these people. And she would be the first to say now, yeah, I shouldn't have trusted them. But from Ronald Reagan and the government's perspective, this idea of a biological attack was really imminent, right? We were sort of moving out of the Cold War, nuclear weapons being the issue. Now science is moving to a place where we could deliver smallpox, you know, in a gas or something in a subway in, or Ebola. I mean, that was a legitimate, it's a le it still is, it's a legitimate fear. I won't write off that fear. I'm not unrealistic. And so our government thought if there was a biological attack the only way to protect our country would be we would need to be able to ramp up immediately an antidote or a vaccine, if you will, to protect you from that smallpox attack or Ebola or whatever it is. How are we going to be able to make 330 million vaccines overnight if we just shut that industry down because they stopped making vaccines? And so at the moment, vaccines wasn't the cash cow that pharma, you know, and so there wasn't that much incentive. But they were telling you, we're going to stop making it. And that was the threat. Ronald Reagan and they all had to agree. And the CDC all looked at it and said, look, if we don't give them liability protection, we will not be able to protect ourselves if we're attacked by a bioweapon. And that was really what was behind that decision. And on that front, I get it, right? I mean, I, I understand the, the sensibility of that. So that's, you know, wrapped in, but it has become one of the biggest catastrophes because as I said, they stop paying these families out. Even those that win, it takes 10 years. The lawyers rarely get paid, you know, and so no lawyer wants to get involved with it. It's like a lose-lose. And are you fighting the U.S. Justice Department? You are literally suing. Imagine this. When you get, so the, here's the irony of it or the, the um, yeah, the irony is that you are suing the Secretary of Health and Human Services when you're injured by a vaccine. So. <laughs> You know, right now, it'd be Javier Becerra, right? I'm going to sue you 
personally, the government, this government head for my being injured by a vaccine. And now the government's going to fight you, right? Not pharma, not Pfizer, not Moderna, nobody. My own government's now against me in a courtroom. They get the use of the entire Department of Justice legal team to fight me. And then in this court, I have to prove causation. I'm just a person. My kid was injured. I don't know the science. I just know they're saying, hi, mommy, hi, daddy, on this day. That afternoon, they got a vaccine. That night, they have a high fever. This is how the story goes so many times. By morning, projectile vomiting and diarrhea. It doesn't seem like they're saying anything. They're not looking at me anymore. And that I love you. I love you, mommy, daddy, that I heard before that vaccine. I never hear again. They're speechless the rest of their lives. Okay. So then you go into court saying, I'm all I'm telling you is it was right after the vaccine. And the court literally says the Department of Justice lawyers say to you and your lawyer, prove it. Prove the vaccine did that. Now you've got to go and find some science study that's been done that shows that this reaction has been documented by a trial that showed this can happen. Who do what 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 do they believe is credible science? Because there's plenty of independent science out there that's looked at it. But well, no, that's not HHS Health and Human Services verified. We haven't we haven't verified that. So wait a minute. Health and Human Services, that's who I'm suing. I'm suing Health and Human Services, and I have to find science that you have either done yourself or stamped with your approval. Right. There's zero incentive. There's zero incentive for them to do that science because you're literally asking them to do the science that will make them lose in court. This is like being in a murder trial where the murderer is the one doing all of your forensics. <laughs> It's, 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 it's absurd. It's the most oh absurd God. thing you could ever imagine being set up in a country that we consider free. So, so that's, that's the 86 act on the, on the Perfect. long and short of it. Okay. So where are we back to FOIA? Yeah. Benefactor and Aaron Siri. Okay. So, so the thing that we did that there's been a lot of articles written about this now, at first it was, a, it was, a, it was our trade secret. We got away with this for about, you know, I would say three or four years before they figured out what was going on. And so oh, back to meeting Aaron. So the, the magic of meeting Aaron is the same evening I'm given this mandate by the people that are fun, you know, one of the major, you know, funding bodies, they say, you know, we need a legal strategy. I'm in a screening. I come out. And this lawyer walks up to me and says, I'd love to talk to you. I think there's, I think there's a weakness in this that, that people haven't you know, really looked at, the, the legal bodies haven't looked at. It. I was like, oh. and, I, and by the way, when I tell this story, it's like, oh, he was just told. It wasn't like when he walked up, I was like, oh, my God, this is it. I was like, oh, my God, another jackass that like, I mean, you know, not jackass, that's the wrong yeah. term. Another armchair quarterback telling me I'm not doing enough and has some way to save the <laughs> yeah. world, right? Because you have yeah. to understand, and I yeah. get it. But you have to imagine what it's like to be me. I'm traveling every night. 300 people are lining up from the screenings to hug me, come up and, and give me advice, right? And it's yeah. like, okay, you just kind of get overwhelmed by yes. it. It's just like, you know, why don't you, could you do it? Like, you got a legal idea, go do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm busy here. Yeah. Can you see? I got 200 other people lined up behind you. Yeah. Something about your podcast makes me like dangerously honest. I love it. Moments, but I hope people understand the humanity. Putting down, I don't want to be putting down all those people that gave me great advice, but 
No, if anybody put themselves in your shoes, it's like night after night. It's just like well-intentioned, but you're like, do you understand what you're telling me right right now? I just put this movie out. I'm traveling. I'm going to state capitals. Like, I I don't have anything else right right now. Nothing else. It was one of those nights. Yeah, yeah. It comes up like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you know. It's like, what do you, how long in town? It's like, I'm in town till tomorrow afternoon. We're going to do a few screenings in the matinee and the takeoff. He's like, well, why don't we get breakfast in the morning? Great. I'll see you at breakfast. You know, told him the hotel I'm at. He leaves. His wife comes back. Uh, Casey, a little while later, maybe half an hour later, taps me on the shoulder again and says, you know, um, I really, I know how this is. She, she actually nails it. She's like, I know everyone's got their advice. They've all got that. Like she gives me what I just said. Oh yeah. No, you just hear. So it's a pattern interrupt for you. And she's like, and I know that you're saying yes, but I doubt this breakfast is going to happen. She's like, what are you doing right now? It looks like it's all the, the crowd's thinning out. Can we just take you out to dinner right now? And I was like, yeah, all right. You know, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I could leave right now. So we go out and, um, and he's talking to me and I'm so like, you know, I'm probably having a beer or something. And, it's just like Charlie Brown's teacher, like, wah, wah, wah. I'm something about legal, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, uh, you know, I, I stopped the flu shot mandate up in New York City for preschoolers. And like this light bulb goes off. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're Aaron Siri. He's like, yeah, that's, that's what I said. <laughs> I was like, you're the guy that everyone was trying to get to come to California to fight SB 277. Like the lawyer that seemed to really have a good grasp of this vaccine issue. He's like, yeah, I guess, you know, I mean, yeah, I was talking to a bunch of people in California that didn't work out. I was like, you just won the preschool. He's like, yeah, right. I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, Aaron. Can you start over? I was like, I've been checked out here. Can you rewind? rewind? I'm paying attention now. So anyway, just, and and so he starts talking about FOIA and different things that he says, look, they protect the manufacturers, you know, from lawsuit, but they didn't protect our government. And no one has ever thought to sue the government. I think we could sue the government and we could, you know, some, there's things that you could do there. And so that's when we started brainstorming. And it was amazing. It was going to be very expensive, um, but we had support that had just asked for it. And so literally the same day this power request had come, let's find somebody there walks in Aaron Siri and to express how many times things like that have happened in the course of Baxed, ICANN and the high wire. That's why when people say to me, you know, how do you have so much hope? There's something much bigger going on here. You know, I'm just a vessel. I'm a leaf blown in the wind, but it's amazing where we're getting blown. And so Aaron now to FOIA, one of the things that we devised was what we were, we were doing, we had a great science team and we were looking at all of the science and, and our question was, we don't seem to be seeing any placebo studies, any proper randomized control studies of any of the childhood vaccines. We don't see, you know, there was one of the first lawsuits where things like Health and Human Services took on the liability and in the contract of the 1986 Act, basically the law, the mandate to the government was now Congress is going to, you know, HHS is going to take on responsibility. The Congress is going to oversee that. And so two things have to happen immediately. Since this is a problematic product that is, is causing so much harm, they can't make a profit. We've got to fix that problem. And so who's going to do that? And so the 1986 mandates the head of health and human, uh, head of, I think it's HHS, 
is going to get together with the head of CDC, FDA, and NIH and form a task force that will develop scientific studies to start investigating vaccines and how to make them safer. So that's mandated in there. This task force will be there. And also that then that task force will report to Health and Human Services what they're discovering. And then every two years, Health and Human Services will update the Congress on what they've done to make vaccines safer. Okay. These were our first two lawsuits. We had done pretty good research and it looked like none of that had happened. Right. It looked like we were pretty sure that HHS hadn't met with Congress. And we were pretty sure we couldn't find anything about this task force anywhere. And we're talking 20 something years later after this law was passed. So for the first time ever, we said, let's FOIA for what we think doesn't exist. And FOIA had never been used that way. So instead of FOIAing for information we knew was there, we said by putting in a FOIA, if they have to say that we don't have that, we just basically won a lawsuit. Yeah. We just proved you broke the law. And that's what we did. Oh, wow. We said our first FOIA was, we would like to see the transcripts <laughs> of every meeting that was mandated by the 1986 that Health and Human Services had with Congress. It's supposed to happen every two years. We want those meeting minutes. We want to see what you talked about. <laughs> they pushed back. Suddenly, for the first time ever, FOIA is supposed to take 30 days. They're not giving it to us 30 days. 60 days, still pushing back. We say, we will sue you if you don't. This is just a very simple FOIA request. We will sue you if you don't give us the answer. And they still push back. So we sued. We said, we're taking you to court because you work for us. You have to hand us those meeting minutes. The judge is like, what the, why aren't you just handing it over to them? Like he doesn't know, like doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's a simple request. <laughs> yeah. Just give them the meeting minutes. I mean, this is how FOIA works. And they're like, well, I mean, there's a problem. Well, what's the problem? Well, in the end, what was the problem? There had never been a single meeting. Zero. Zero. Wow. They had never done it. They broke the 1986 act. And so, and then, so they said, they admit it. And they said, what do you want from us? We just said, we want you to admit that in this contract that says that we did not have that meeting signed by the judge. And like, we don't want to sign that. And the judge like, you have to sign that. And so we got their signatures saying we never had that meeting. Up next. We would like to see all the recommendations that the task force had and the <laughs> studies that were done by the task force and what they said to Health and Human Services. Same thing. Months and months fighting. We're going to take you to court. We're going to sue you. We sue you. Judges like, what is going on here? Will you just, you know, and sure enough, we never formed a task force. And so the two elements, it was huge. Those were our first wins out of the bag. Those two elements were the two ways we were supposed to be protected from this dangerous product. And by the way, Obviously, the moment they took liability away in 1986, that was when we went from 10 vaccines to over, you know, literally within a couple of years, we're at that 72 vaccines by the time you're 18. And so they didn't have to do safety trials anymore. Like if you can't be sued, if your product kills somebody, then why waste the money on doing proper science? And so it just it became a, a gold rush for the pharmaceutical industry and vaccines then became the most popular thing to try and invent and create going in the future. So. But our trick was we were the first ones to ever use FOIA as a way to prove they hadn't done it. Uh, we did that. We had, when you, re, you go to the CDC's website, it says vaccines do not cause autism. All vaccines do not cause autism. That's the first thing you see when you ask a question about vaccine safety. You didn't ask about autism. You just went to the page. Like, if you have questions about the safety of vaccines and a top on the giant letters, vaccines do not cause autism. 
That's how much they're concerned about that question. Okay, so we said, well, if vaccines don't cause autism, we would like to see all the studies and trials that you reference as the CDC for just, let's say, the first six vaccines in the first six months of life, because we're now diagnosing autism within, at about six months old. So that means if vaccines have any effect, we would see it from those first six vaccines. So since you're saying vaccines across the board don't cause autism, we just want to know about the first six. Give us all of your science. Same thing. Took a year, fought us. We proved in court. They finally had to admit they had never done any studies. They have no trials. They have absolutely no reference to those six vaccines. Nothing. They're literally just making that statement with no proof whatsoever. And so those are the types of things we've done. And you assume that's off the website now? We had it. We got it off the website. We said, you have to take it off. They took it off and they've put it back on. And since we have, we sued. Uh, our issue right now is standing. We did not win that case because the judge in that case is saying, what client do you have that is going to be gravely affected by this statement being on the website? We're, I mean, th this is what makes this hard. It's not even like, just sue them. And it's, you know, law has rules and, you know, ways it plays. And of course, if you don't get the right judge, you get a you know, an Obama appointed judge versus a Trump appointed judge, all of these things play out differently. But right now we're trying to figure out how to develop standing on that issue. And so we'll, you know, we're going to attack from different sides, but the world can know that that statement is a false statement, has no scientific reference, but we, we couldn't even get it before a judge to get it pulled down. We obviously announced when it was taken down, they saw that they had a problem, they put it back up. And so it's one of our ongoing battles. So let's get back to V-Safe. Yeah, V-Safe, the latest win. Yeah. So V-Safe, uh, you know, I, I think the best way to set that up is to understand there's two huge wins that have taken place that, that Aaron Siri has had. The first one was for all the Pfizer data. Uh, remember, again, our government said they were going to be transparent about, you know, they knew they were rushing this vaccine on the market. They knew that there was some dangers to that. And so we're going to, you know, be very transparent about what we're doing here. Uh, we're going to let the people know. We're going to have outside scientists be able to see all this information so that we can be in real time moving as, as, as the famous quote now by this Pfizer executive at the speed of science. Um, you know, so um, hmm. the uh, the first case was, I think it was last year, uh, Aaron Siri represented a lot of scientists, uh, Peter McCullough, Malone, all these that were demanding to see the Pfizer data. Like you have this data in these trials, what what of it that was done? We want to see that. How did you say this was safe? How did you say it was 95% effective? Because clearly now it wasn't 95% effective. And now we have Pfizer admitting they never even checked to see if it was effective. So the whole thing on space is a fraud. And every scientist in the world that has a blood pumping through their brain that isn't owned by pharma wants to look at how did you do this? How, how deep does this lie go? Well, all of a sudden the FDA that's holding that data says we're not giving it to you. And so uh, Aaron sued on behalf of those doctors and the FDA, not Pfizer. This is your own government regulatory agency, remember, that's supposed to be protecting you from Pfizer, not protecting Pfizer from you, said, we're not going to be able to give you that data for 75 years. And oh, so that, that yeah. was a huge. So Aaron, you know, litigated that in court and crushed them and they have to provide all of the Pfizer data to, you know, uh, to Aaron. And ultimately we've been putting up on our website as it comes in uh, within a year. And so we're starting to get giant tranches of, of all of that data. So that was the, that was the first huge thing, but that's still Pfizer's data. That's 
That's a biased scientific study done by the people that can make billions of dollars. Now, VSAFE, um, there's a system, the vaccine injury, you know, uh, capture system that we're all aware of is VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. This is the system that if people or a doctor, you know, if you're injured by a vaccine, you have myocarditis after the COVID vaccine, you go to your doctor, say, you know, I just got diagnosed with swelling in my heart. It's this amount of time after the vaccine. Your doctor is supposed to say, let me fill out a VAERS report. And that report goes to VAERS. Now, VAERS, we've been talking about for years, um, you know, reports deaths. There's been about 450 on average deaths reported to VAERS every year for vaccines, which I think is a high number. It's a, that's a big number. If we're killing 400 innocent people a year uh, with vaccines, we have a problem. But CDC will say those are not confirmed. Those are just reports. And so we'll give them all that. Uh, we also know that VAERS is highly underreported. Every investigation done by CDC, anybody has always reported that it's underreported because it's a pain in the ass to report. I've talked to doctors about it. It takes 30 minutes in a doctor's day that are rushing around dealing with patients to fill one of these things out. If they walk away from their desk and the screen goes black, it erases it and they have to start all how over. How convenient. In, in, how convenient, right? In the modern world, They've, the CDC still has an archaic computer system so, where I can't come back. It's in so where genius. I was it's, it's genius, right? It's so diabolically <laughs> yes. genius. And I got to hand it to them. I am amazed. I mean, I really got to give credit to our opponents <laughs> of, the, of these things because everywhere they get you like, God, that is so smart. <laughs> right. But um, so anyway, doctors just don't have time for it. It's very underreported. And Harvard Medical School did a very important study, I believe it was in 2010. They were hired by the CDC uh, to do, paid a million dollars to investigate VAERS and figure out how accurate it is. Looking at the population, what percentage can we expect it's capturing of, of the total amount of injuries? They did an extensive study, used their own database, their own Harvard uh, Pilgrim um, uh, HMO system to see how well is the bear system just catching the group of people that we deal with. And they concluded it's capturing less than 1% of the actual amount of vaccine injuries. And so I was going around before COVID saying, if 450 deaths is less than 1%, let's just say that's 1%, we're in trouble. We're talking about 40,000 deaths. I mean, what, what are we talking about here? You know, wow. so- um, so that's problematic. And VAERS is problematic. And the CDC, every time you quote VAERS numbers, which by the way, by the way, COVID right now is not at 450 reported deaths. It's over 30,000 reported deaths now reported. in two years, right? In a system that nobody uses, nobody wants to use, they have 30,000 reported deaths. That is obviously off the charts. We are talking about all 16 vaccines put together in all the years VAERS has been there does not reach anywhere near 30,000. This is a ca catastrophic vaccine. Uh, and so anytime they're approving, anytime they're putting on a childhood schedule, you should just look at that and say, and they're saying, we don't see a red flag at all. You don't see the red flag. It literally has been rammed on its <laughs> post through your third eye. You're bleeding in your eyes. Their third even, eye, unfortunately, right, right, gets right. between their legs. Exactly. So... So, all right. So VAERS system, you can't count on it. Uh, Pfizer data we have, that's coming in right now. VSAFE, though, was the system that the CDC created because they knew they were rushing this vaccine out. 
in an unrealistic and unreasonable way, they said, we need a system that just captures for, for COVID vaccines. So VAERS is built just for COVID vaccines. And essentially it was an app that you could sign up for when you got the vaccine. I think everybody was offered this. I don't know. I never went in to get this stupid shot. So I don't know what that conversation was. But my understanding is you were supposed to be told, do you want to sign up for V-Safe? And so what this would be would be this app that, you know, for the first seven days is asking a specific set of questions about swelling in your arm. Are you feeling nausea? Are you feeling abdominal pain, headaches? You know, a list of questions for side effects from it. And then that, that app checks in with you, you know, over the course of, I believe, maybe six months or so. Um, uh, and people would then, you know, keep answering the questions on this app. And so over 10 million people signed up to VSafe. Um, and that's a healthy number. That is a healthy number. We are talking about when you, when you, let, let's just put it in perspective. They just approved the brand new booster, the Omicron booster. So the new variant booster on the backs of a study of eight mice. Okay. <laughs> Not making that up. So they feel confident on what they just witnessed in eight mice to give the COVID booster to the wife. You laugh at least got the double digits. We're sitting here laughing and I have to check in with myself because people are going to be killed by that vaccine. And the, the arrogance and the insanity of that is insane. So they have eight mice. They will approve something. We have 10 million people. Okay. Now, that data was supposed to be transparent. That data was supposed to be available to the public. It's our data. This is CDC data. CDC is a government agency. Government works for us. So we put in a FOIA request. We want that data. The first thing they said, and this is the games that they play, right? So Aaron's now dealing with Department of Justice lawyers. They say, well, look, that data has personal identification attached to it. Um, so therefore, it, you know, it can't, it can't be delivered to you. Now, let me be clear. Our request for was for all of the VSafe data scrubbed of the personal identification, right? We knew that. We don't want their, you deserve anonymity. We don't need that. All I need is, you know, we'll call you patient one. I just need to see what you said about your injuries. And so they come back and say, well, you're requesting data that has been erased, you know, that the personal data is erased. Well, we don't have that. Well, we're not stupid. And again, remember, we'll ask for things we know you don't have. And we, we're, we're, we don't go into this without being so well-researched. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. And they know this. Yeah. You know, Aaron, like, come on yeah. now, right? And he said, come on. Yeah. What they, and so he said, that's not true. You're handing all this data over to a private company to manage called Oracle. Oracle, that's Oracle right. is not allowed either. It's a private company. You're not allowed to sh- share personal data with a private company like Oracle. So if Oracle is getting this data, you've clearly already scrubbed it of <laughs> personal identification. And they said, well, then you've submitted this request wrong. You need to ask for the data and we will, in providing it, scrub it free of the personal data. And Aaron's like, he's, I'm giving you the, like the second hit because Aaron's like, you won't believe what they just, <laughs> the argument they're making here. They're literally telling me, and he said to the lawyer, wait a minute. So you're going to make me go file another request. You know, we're months into this now and not ask for data, scrub the personal ID. You want a broad statement. I just want all the data. And then that'll be more, you know, appropriate 
then you'll just scrub it for me. Why waste that time? Because you know I'm going to file that. What are we doing here? It's like, that's the way it's got to be. So they made us file a request, not specifically of scrub data, but just all the data. And then we're back at the drawing boards and like, okay. And so <laughs> this is going on. So multiple lawsuits like this, they keep pushing back in weird places. That's why it took 400 and was it? I mean, 63, I think. I think that's right, 463. I got, there's a lot of numbers in I my bet. head spin around in there, but yeah, it's over a year, multiple losses for the same reasons, pushing back where we finally got it. We finally got it. And what's amazing is that the CDC had promised to put up some form of the data in a way that people could search through it and they never did it. And so we, as soon as we heard we were getting it, built a brilliant dashboard. It's amazing for, it's a dashboard for idiots. It's so great. Yeah. So a dashboard that anyone can search the data, ask any question you want of it. Uh, We put that up on our website. And, um, and so now, and I, and it, it really is, it's, I think people, I don't know. We're, we're like numb. It's really maybe the big, it's going to be one of the biggest wins we will ever have. We've never been able to get an official full database data set from the CDC. They've been playing a lot of tricks to hide it. They didn't get this one hidden from us. And so there's really important information there. Now it's not all of it. And so, you know, we are still suing for all of it, but so let me explain. And, and just what we have and how this app works shows you again, how clever and sinister these bastards are. Okay. You have a vaccine that has not been properly tested for safety. You've just brand new. I mean, literally a few weeks after the trial group got the second shot, it's getting an emergency use authorization. So we are so we have no idea what the long term effects are. But what we do know, because we're always already seeing with AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson, that there is a blood clotting issue. There's thrombocytopenia, a blood thinning issue. We know that there's myocarditis, a heart swelling issue. And we definitely know that there's syncope and uh, anaphylactic reactions, which is why very early on, they started a protocol where once you get the vaccine, you have to sit in the office for 15 minutes to be observed because there was people having allergic reactions right then. And so they wanted to capture that. So you're capturing that. So now you're given, this is how this has worked with every vaccine. People think this is brand new. They've been doing this forever. They asked in that app a very specific set of questions. Mm. Do you have a headache? Do you have nausea? Do you have swelling in the arm where you're you know, injured? Do you have some joint pain? Do you have abdominal pain? How about, how about, I mean, so do they ask, did you have myocarditis? Did you get swelling in the heart? Did you have a blood clot issue? Did you experience anaphylaxis? Did you pass out? None of those questions. Oh. There, right? Yep. So they control for what they, they are literally only letting you, you're trapped in a set of questions that even if you answer them, doesn't look that bad technically, right? And that's that's what they're looking for. How is it possible you're not looking for myocarditis when everyone in the world knows that that's an issue for you? You've admitted, the CDC has admitted, there is this small issue there. Well, how small is it? That should be on your data. If your database is trying to figure that out, that should be one of the questions. It's not. So what you have in this data are the questions secluded to what they're allowing you to answer. But there's this open field, other, that you can answer to. And that's a written in. So we've seen that in anything in the doctor's office. If I didn't cover it, is there an other there? That write in will be where we believe we'll see, you know, uh, 
heart attack. I had a heart attack, went to the hospital. I, you know, uh, you know, because what we do see, what we did have as questions was three categories of severity. Did you lose the ability to perform daily functions? Category one. Two, did you lose the ability? Were you unable to go to school or work? Like so bad, like not only daily functions, I can't go to work or school. And then three, did you seek medical care? Did you have to see a doctor, uh, go to an ER or be hospitalized in an ICU? So those three categories, right? Of those three categories, I mean, the did you seek medical care? Eight, nearly 800,000 of the 10 million sought medical care after the COVID vaccine. That's that's 8%. It's about 7.7%, wow. if we're going to be specific about it. 7.7%, you know, quote, moving in on 10% of people had to go to a doctor or be hospitalized after vaccination. That's an insane failure. That we that it's that's on its face is amazing. Then cut to, you know, did you miss school or you know, not be able to go to work? And then add in because we're we're Aaron's right now fighting on behalf of ICANN for the armed services. We're right now there's a case with the Air Force. We had a stay where you can't kick anyone out of the Air Force because they sought a religious exemption. They're trying to make their lives hell. We're also fighting for the Army. So when people are funding ICANN, you're also fighting our you know, funding our lawsuit to help our armed services. So think about this argument. The argument is that we need our boys, you know, best and brightest men and women fighting ready. That's why they have to get the vaccine. If you take the three categories, can't perform daily functions, missed school or um, um, work, and or was hospitalized, needed medical care, that makes up 28, nearly 30% of those that got the vaccine. I mean, those are horrible numbers. So now the military is saying, we need our boys and girls fighting ready. If 30% of them can't perform daily functions, they are not fighting ready. So what are you doing? That's going to be one of the major arguments, you know, on our side. And that's what we get out of the V-Safe data. It's very important. Now, of those 7%, eight, nearly 8%, we want to know, what were you going to medical attention for? Why did you check into an ER, ICU? Um, and uh, that we're fighting to get that written in data. We believe it'll be in that sort of open field. But um, How do they account for someone who dies? I mean, they're not going to be able to check the you're app. Gonna, you're not going to be able to. I mean, who's going to sign in? I died. Right? <laughs> <laughs> The peanut gallery liked yes, that. My mom's yeah, right, here on the right, couch. Right. She liked that one. <laughs> but thank God I got the vaccine because it could have been so much worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So, so much going on. It's so funny. Before yeah. we sat down, I checked my email. Breaking news. I can will fund legal challenge of any state that mandates COVID-19 vaccines to attend school. How about that? That's it. Let's talk about that. You bet. I, you know, and I've got this other email from about a week and a half ago that I want to share afterwards. All right, cool. Um, I reached out immediately. Uh, as soon as, um, this incredibly unanimous vote to put this untested vaccine on childhood schedule. And I said, Aaron, we are going this is it. This is the fight of all times. This is what we, we have, you know, planned for. We're here for, um, officially I'm telling you, I can, the second any state attempts to make this required to go to school, we are going to bring 
all of your talent, all your power, all your team, I can will fund that. And so we are, and you know, um, and I would say that I think I can pretty honestly say that of all the nonprofits in this space, of all the work, there's a lot of great people out there, great legal teams out there. We have the the best success uh, rate in court against government and in you know in, in courtrooms. I truly believe, and Aaron Siri's a very humble guy. I've, I've tried to you know I've had him on my show a couple of times. He doesn't like it when I say it. He is the most talented constitutional lawyer. I think he will go down in history for the work that he's done for ICANN. He's also doing work uh, outside of ICANN on these issues. He is something special because not only does he have a grasp of constitutional law uh, that I don't think anyone has in this space, he's almost you know, like a scientist himself. His understanding of immunology and of vaccines He's just got one of those brains. I've watched him in the years we, we've worked together. He's like, I'm, I'm going on vacation. I'm taking this immunology textbook with me. And he'll come back and he read the whole thing and can recite like every page. I don't know how his brain works. It's amazing. So it's awesome to, if you Google like Plotkin on vaccines, Aaron Siri deposed the godfather of vaccines, Stanley Plotkin. Guys involved in making more vaccines than anyone alive. And it's like a nine hour deposition. We've put out little like five minute, 10 minute clips. The nine hours is for me was like, we sat down with popcorn and it's like watching a few good men. Aaron takes this leading scientist in vaccinology and leads him into places. He has no idea what hit him. And by the end, he just got schooled by a lawyer. It's incredible. Um, And so his talents is unmatched. And so what I'm saying when I say, we're going to put Aaron Siri into every courtroom, you know, in every state that they try and bring this. We are sending the best guy there is in the world to fight on behalf of, of America's children. Are you getting any of these other nonprofits like sending funds your way? Cause you guys are, are leading the charge and are having such great success. Are you, are you getting any of that? Um, I will say that there are foundations that, that do um, contribute some, you know, we get some decent, large donations from different foundations. I don't think the way you're saying that, I think, you know, do, did the CHD or do we share funds? That doesn't happen, yeah. you know, and, and shouldn't happen. Yeah. I've, you know, CHD, Bobby Kennedy, also great, great team. They're out there uh, doing their work. Um, I love Perk uh, is a, is a California based um, nonprofit. That's really been handling a lot of legal cases we've, you know, and we'll team up like sometimes you know, we'll bring some funding into Perk and say, we want to get in with you on this case. Cool. Uh, we'd also like Aaron to help out your lawyers because we think we have a specialty there. I will also say uh, one thing that I can pays for is that any, we have, and I'll put it out there, anyone listening, if there's a vaccine case or a legal case that could set precedent or something like that, that a nonprofit's bringing, we fund Aaron to come in as a consultant and advise and give his, you know, expertise to the situation. And so in those, and under that capacity, we work a lot with CHD, you know, Aaron takes a look at, you know, their cases and, um, and others, you know, all over. So there, there is a behind the scenes, um, um, camaraderie and, and, uh, and communication that is going on. But I want to be clear because it, it costs a lot for all of us to do what we do. If you like what CHD is doing, fund CHD. If you like what ICANN is doing, fund ICANN. If you like us both, please fund to us both. It's, a you know, sometimes I will hear 
yeah, we love the work you're doing, Dell. We're giving, you know, CHD, you know, donations. Like, I, let me make it clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not the same nonprofit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we do a monthly, Peyton and I do a monthly recurring with ICANN. And it's a super simple sign up once and yeah. it's, and it feels good to support the work, you know. I'm curious, who's the, who's on the podium? Who's the top three of the states that are going to start to mandate this? So people listening can be on, kind of can have, be on high alert. Well, I'm sure everyone listening in California right now is just got cold sweats. Everyone in New York, cold sweats. Um, Illinois up there, you know, sure. I mean, Illinois, uh, Oregon, Washington, you know, I mean, Unfortunately, just look at the bluer the state is, the higher your risk is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is. I say that with a pit in my stomach. It as, doesn't make sense. As a guy who was a Democrat, my, I still care. I still, I still have not changed my. What happened? Because but, it used to be, I mean, medical freedom, I feel like used to fall under the, the blue state. Is that true? It, you know, I thought so. I, I mean, look, everyone I knew that. For instance, and that's like, why this isn't politicized for you is because like, I'm just fighting for medical freedom. That's it. This should not be a partisan issue. But by the way, as a Democrat, I always felt that about environmentalism, which you're telling me Republicans that have kids, you don't want clean water, <laughs> air and food. Like, I don't understand what we're arguing about here. I don't. What are you being told that has you against breathing clean air, you know, being able to fish in a river and eat the fish and not have it be toxic and poisonous to your family? I don't. So I've always been on all sides of this. Right. Um, But yeah, when it comes to this issue, it was all, it always seemed to me, I mean, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. We're the ones going to chiropractors. We're the ones not going to doctors. We're the ones using homeopathy and, you know, naturopathy and acupuncture and doing yoga and drinking spring water before anyone really was worried about fluoride or, you know, all of those things to have that be the group that just went power pro pharma pro vaccine in it's just, it's a, it's still something I grapple with. I have a sense of what happened there, but I really can't fully understand it. And, and it, and it is because it got so politicized. You know, I know people that eat the, you know, have, are so healthy, live these incredible healthy lifestyles, won't read every package of every ounce of food they put in their bodies. And COVID was the first vaccine they ever got. And they were like zealots about it. And really it honestly when I have tried to drill down with them, all I get is such an immense hatred for Donald Trump yep. that somehow taking this vaccine was their punch in Donald Trump. It's face. literally like taking poison and hoping the <laughs> other person. I mean, that's like, right. by the way, the irony is you're literally taking it despite Donald Trump who is out there like jumping up and down, singing the praises of the vaccine he made. And as far as he's concerned, there's like, Giant gold letters stamped on the side of that vaccine. It said Trump on it. Like it's his last, the last hotel he built. You know? Oh my God. It's ridiculous. The the world has gone mad. (laughs) 
it is interesting that it's been so politicized and he was like really, you know, trumpeting this thing and now yeah. Biden. And it's like, what, wait, what? I know. But there is, you know, it really, this, and, and it was, it wasn't just COVID. It went in SB 277 in California, that law that was basically taking away people's rights to opt out of the vaccine program, taking away a, a, a personal belief exemption in California, which was right when I was making vax. That's when my whole life sort of shifted because I wasn't vaccinated as a kid. I wasn't vaccinating my kids. And now we were under attack. Um, it was Democrats. It was only Republicans that were listening to us. Like this is a, this is my right as a human being to raise my kids for, for me personally, I was saying, I have the right to raise my kids the same way my parents did. What, what changed in the world that my parents were allowed to opt out of a vaccine program for me, but I can't do that for my own kids. This is insane. And it's my taxpayer money. Then give me my taxpayer money back. That's funding your school. All right. Then I don't pay for your school. if My kids can't go in it. Right. But I have a belief system and I'm allowed to raise my kids with my belief system. If I can't, then we're in serious trouble in this country. There is no, we, we've lost uh, our Republic. Um, and only Republicans were listening to us. And so that's when it's, became pretty clear that this thing had already shifted. And, and, and I'll say this, that, you know, talking politics, I was a loudmouth progressive liberal for years. It's, you know, I've, I've always been outspoken. So a lot of this comes very naturally to me, right? <laughs> I was behind a camera all the time. Once someone rolled a camera on me, <laughs> then I was just the guy that had been in every party, annoying everybody with how much I was into politics. But Here's what I would have said when I was a Democrat. Why are you a Democrat versus a Republican? And I would say because, you know, whether you're against welfare, like and welfare was always a big issue. I mean, you're funding, you're enslaving people, you're giving them money and welfare is ridiculous. And why is my taxpayer money? That was one of the issues that would come up. And I would say this. I would say, here's my issue. I believe the Democratic Party is the party of the people and the Republican Party is the party of business. And though I see business as an important part of a society, I do not want to live in a world where business gets to make decisions that, by the way, a, a logging company is spewing chemicals into my river, killing my fish, and it's going into my drinking water or whatever, a chemical company. I don't believe that the rights should protect that company against me. I believe that it's the people that come first. And I've always felt that the Democratic Party stands for people. And the Republican stands for business and industry. And here's my issue. Both sides give out welfare. Democrats give welfare to the poor and Republican Party gives welfare to the rich. Mm. It takes care. It funds companies. It gives them, you know, a leg up. If it likes an industry like oil, we are subsidizing oil. I'm sorry. You do not refine oil and do all the work it takes to pull that out of the ground, get it into machines across the country, and then pump it into your tank when we grew up for like a dollar. It's cheaper than water. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. that There's a subsidy that if you were paying what oil and gas, like if gas, what it should really cost, probably be more like England, $10 a gallon, $15. Let's just take all government money out of everything and let's see what things cost. So we're not seeing the real cost. There's our government is is manipulating everything in the benefit of industry. So what I would say in, you know, back when I was a Democrat was I would rather I'm not really crazy about welfare at all. But if we're going to give it out, I would rather give it to the poor because handing somebody, you know, a 
$15,000 a year or whatever it is, they're not going to go and create a lobby and buy political power. Yeah. When I give Exxon the, the, the hundreds of millions of dollars I am, they're taking that money and they're buying politicians. They're, they're changing my government system every day with welfare dollars, right? So if we're going to give money away, I'd rather give it to people that can't do anything to hurt me with it than to give it to the side that can hurt me. And that's, that's my honest perspective. And I held that until we got into this world when ultimately the Democratic Party gave up on people. They just chose a different set of industries. They chose to work for pharma. And I believe pharma is the most dangerous industry there is. And now it's the most powerful industry in the world. And our government is giving subsidies to the most powerful industry that is the most is the number one lobby in Washington. And this COVID pandemic is the result of a Democratic Party giving favoritism to an industry that has been poisoning and killing us and getting away with it for years and losing lawsuits over it. And it doesn't matter. They keep working. I remember before I ever got into the vaccine issue, when I heard that Merck's Vioxx killed nearly 100,000 people with heart attacks before it ever went into court. And there's a lot of people that would argue it was 300,000 or more, but that's what they could prove. You know, nearly 100,000 were murdered by Vioxx. And then in court, we found out they always knew it caused heart attacks and actually said to each other, we'll be able to afford that. That those numbers will be low enough. They basically said, we will be fine fighting those lawsuits. Yep. We will make so much money from this product. Before I was ever in vaccines, I thought, Merck should be kicked out of the United States of America and never allowed to work here again. That's how I think that should be handled. I don't care about the three billion you just paid out for having lied to us. You murdered Americans. In fact, you murdered more people than we lost in the Vietnam War. I'm sorry you're done in the United States of America. That's just not how things work. And unfortunately, the Democratic Party then got in bed and started helping Merck fund things and helping Pfizer. And that's where I'm out. I'm out. Such an inch. I've never heard the idea of the Republican Party giving welfare to the rich. And, and just the way you explain that makes, makes great sense. It was the big question I had, actually. Once I, once I realized in, with SB 277, the attacks coming on me with backs were all from the party I grew up in. I had read Ayn Rand. I remember reading um, uh, Atlas Shrugged at some point. I think it was like 18 or something. Someone said, you should read it. I thought it was a liberal book, actually. For the first I've never half. read it, actually. Through the first half, you know, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, totally agree with it. Totally agree. And then just slowly, but it's all about uh, a family and, and the dynamic uh, daughter that's inheriting the train company. Like, they own a train company. And through that story, I believe it's a daughter. It's been a while. So, you know, I'm not... Scholar on this, yeah. Issue. Don't fact check but, us on uh, this. Yeah, don't, don't Just go with the idea this, of the, the, the theme general here. idea. Of it. <laughs> um, but the problem was, and and Ayn Rand, as I understood, it's sort of survival of the fittest. Which I that's what I that's why I really agreed with when I was reading that book of hers because, and I think I said this the last time I talked to you. If I have a driving sort of force or sense of how I carry myself politically and everything, I would say ultimately I'm a natural law guy. I tend to strip my, when I'm trying to make a decision, 
I strip myself naked standing in the middle of a forest and say, what would be the truth without all of the underpinnings of this? What is the, what is the inherent basic truth of, of what I'm going to decide upon? I don't like gray areas. I've always been like, I, I want a black and white answer. I get politics and laws can't always be necessarily black and white, but that's how I drive myself. What would I know now in a natural space without internet, without like all the things, what is the simple natural truth? And I, and I have a sense of a belief in survival of the fittest. You know, I, I don't like that. I think this vaccine program in its concept is making the sick individual the most important part of our society. We are all going to make ourselves, this is my perspective of vaccines. We're all going to take a product that might lower our own personal health, but create protection for the, the, the immune suppressed child, the one that is so sick that they can't take this product or they can't protect themselves. I, I don't like that idea. I, I just don't. I mean, I, I, it's not that I don't have empathy for those that are born in this world or have issues. You know, I fight for them every day. I fight for autism. I fight for Tourette's, all of it. But I don't believe we should be altering the health of our healthiest to protect the weakest among us. And I think it's, it's, it's in the face of natural law. And so those are the types of places I'm at. I'm, I'm going to, by saying that, people are going to call me a murderer. And I, I already know the opposition that comes against me on that perspective. But Ayn Rand essentially is saying in business, it should be a survival of the fittest. We shouldn't be holding back. We shouldn't be overly taxing somebody that is working harder than everybody else, right? If they are able to make a business that's successful, why is their success something that we all seek to bring down or take a piece from them, right? They're the driving force of society. And that's what it got. But what bothered me about it as I got into the end of it is in the end, this story is about a person, you know, she's a driven business person and, and out competes and outsmarts everyone around her and everyone's after her. Um, she did inherit this thing, right? And so that's what was bothering me is, well, the Koch brothers and their children or the, the wall, you know, family or, you know, these families, the Gateses or, you know, they're being born with an unnatural prowess. It's not survival of the fittest. They're not nat nat necessarily the best business people or the smartest people we have, the Rockefellers, these, you know, the Bilderberg, you know, all these people that sort of control our world. Are they the smartest and brightest? No, they were given a weapon the rest of us don't have, right? And that doesn't seem right. And so there were times when I was all about estate taxes. You know, I mean, uh, that made sense to me. Why should your kids be given an advantage over other kids simply because you did really well with your life, right? Um, and so when I, when I jumped ship on being a Democrat, that question came up into me. I was like, where am I moving? Because libertarian is very, I, I think is the purest form of survival of the fittest. And, and I think more than, I don't, Republican has all the same welfare crap and stuff, but like libertarian. Mm. And so I asked myself, I was like, man, now that I'm shifting on this, because I disagreed with Ayn Rand when I was a pure Democrat, where am I at now? And I just, I decided, let me Google Ayn Rand. I think I typed in something like Ayn Rand on monopolies. Because to me, monopolies are your problem. Like if you can't stop it, if you don't, if the government, what you're saying is the government shouldn't interfere, interfere when business is running out of control and Bill Gates is taking control of the computer industry and cheating and under, you know, cutting everybody, all of those things. Right. And so I, I typed it in and 
and up pops an old Donahue. Um, it's probably before your time. Donahue. No, oh, I remember Phil okay. Donahue. Yeah, Please, right, right so, Ma? Yeah, so, so Donahue pops up and he's interviewing Ayn Rand. And he asks like my exact question to a T. He says, we've all read Atlas Shrugged and, you know, it's really, I mean, it's really a dynamic concept. And I think there's a lot of it we can all agree with. He's like, but I got to ask you a serious question. He's like, you have to admit that there are families that inherit money, that they're given an unnatural and a business that moves, you know, grows big enough can buy up and beat out other companies so that the best idea doesn't get the top. We have all of these examples of car companies. You know, Tucker is a movie about a car that was probably beating the big three, but they crushed it. And so how do you stop monopolies if the government's not going to be involved? Because you seem to be like, let business run its course. And she said, you show me a monopoly that never received government funding and I will shut up immediately. And I will never speak again. And if you look into it, she's like, she said, and she said, because let me make it perfectly clear. I'm against welfare for the poor and I'm against welfare for the rich. And I was like, oh my God, that's what I think. <laughs> and when you look into it, it's true. <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> when you look into it, it's true. You can't find a monopoly. Bill Gates doesn't get to build you know, his monopoly without government funding, choosing his product. Let's get this into every school, like getting into programs, handing money. And then how many benefits is he getting that his competitors? We're seeing that with Amazon, right? I mean, they're so in bed with the government, you know, Tesla, you know, um, you know, solar panel companies, things that I I like as ideas, you know, but it's, it's, it's creating an unnatural playing field, which is throwing all of our nature out of balance. So mm. can we go back? I mean, that's where I, at this point, I really believe in less government. And that's something that I didn't understand as a Democrat. That I, it was probably the biggest shift for me. I did believe as a Democrat, you needed government to fix all of your problems. I just, I had this belief, and this is what I, and we've talked about this before, that people are stupid. They're incapable of making decent, decent decisions for themselves. Therefore, the government has to make those decisions for them. That really is the sickening um, uh, memory I have of the lens I was looking at the world through as a Democrat. And I no longer have that lens. I think people are spectacular. Um, sure, we can be misled. We make mistakes. But on a whole, we, you know, if left to our own devices, if you turn the television off, you stop brainwashing everybody and just let them, left them to their instincts, uh, people make good decisions. And even when they don't, they're the ones that usually hurt themselves with it. And so be it. Yeah. You know. Beautiful. Um, the email. This was a little bit about what we talked about before, but it was from ICANN as well. I think it was, uh, I don't know. I don't have my glasses. The 13th of October. But it was. Uh, <laughs> CDC employees shared excerpts from an article which stated, while the deplatforming of the high wire is an important step to reduce misinformation online, fans of the show continue to defend the ideologies promoted by Big Tree. And so, can you unpack this a little bit for the people? It's so good. We're still, this is an ongoing, you know, investigation we're trying to do through FOIA of CDC, of FDA which is we, we tried to bring a lawsuit 
um, against uh, ultimately Facebook when we got deplatformed by Facebook. And when was that? Uh, all these years piling together. I think we were deplatformed. I want to say. It had to have been in 2020, right? Yeah, I believe it, it was. May, I think it was like. Maybe here, June. Mid, late 2020. CDC employees, including Captain Amanda Cohn, chief medical officer for the CDC's vaccine task force, circulated the June 30th. 2020 article. That's a 2020. Well, I don't yeah. know. So, so that, it would have been 2020. No, but it would have been 2020. I, mean, yeah. I just need to know if it's 2020 or 2021. But we got deplatformed. And then our lawsuit came sometime later. But again, here we have a, this is, as we talk about government, we have a real issue here because I believe in freedom of speech, you know, paramount. It, it literally, and when you think of how many, again, whether Republicans or Democrats, more Democrats really favor censorship. Our founding fathers looked at all of the rights endowed to us by God. What did they believe was the fundamental, most important right you have? The right to speak your mind. Period. That's why it's the first amendment. That's it. Your right to free speech, everything else comes after that. And so when they are going after it and they believe, and anyone says they believe in censoring a person's voice, they are going against what our founding father says is the most paramount and primary right that you have. And so when we were kicked off of Facebook, let me be clear. I don't want the government telling businesses what they can and can't say, which is what essentially Facebook has the right to, for instance, not put, not allow porn on their, you know, on their platform. They have that right. They get, you know, well, Hey, it's a free, it's a free country. And, you know, the owner of Hustler Magazine argued his First Amendment right. Therefore, I should be able to put those photos on Facebook. You could see how that argument would go. Sure. You know, that business gets to determine what they want their audience to be a part of. So I'm not against that. I see them as a private business. Our argument in the case was that Facebook didn't by its own nature censor us. We believe it was upon a request and demand by the government by our government. At that moment, right before we lost our Facebook page, uh, Adam Schiff had written a letter to Facebook saying, take down all of these pages that are questioning the vaccine uh, and promoting the idea that vaccines injure people. And we lost our Facebook page. And so we fought in court saying that really this is a case where Facebook is being pressured by the government and the government is the one. Remember what I said in the beginning, the constitution does not, it's not write laws for me. It write laws, what the government can do. The government can't take away my free speech. And so by forcing Facebook, they therefore took away my right to speech. Now we were unable in that case, the judge again, standing, do you have a document that shows that you specifically were singled out, that Dell Bigtree must be censored by Facebook or that I can or the high wire needs to be shut down by Facebook? Because if we'd have had that, we would have had a case. We didn't have that. Uh, we had this general letter. And so the judge says it would have to be more specific. And so we've been asking for FOIA. FOIA, yeah. Is CDC talking about Dell Bigtree or high wire? And so these are a few of the emails we've got. We've got a lot of redacted emails, by the way. We want to know what's under those redactions. Why are you redacting something? Yeah, like asking, what, what parts are, are being you? redacted? Right, why? Why is it when you're talking about Dell Beach or the highway, are we getting on these pages of black? Oh, so there's, there's just a, a, oh, you know what I mean? Not just like some names, right, it's right. like the whole thing. The whole thing, like, yeah. like crazy blacked out. And so we're working on that. So this, in this case though, there's a 
couple of things that they have given us. Yeah, they celebrated that, too. Weren't that, they celebrating? Sort of like, yeah, they're like celebrating exclamation point when I got yeah. taken down. Yeah, Dell's gone. Yeah, yeah. So the big dog, the witch is dead type of stuff. But, <laughs> um, so it's fun. And, 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 and by the way, you know, I mean, and it's weird. I mean, it, it's weird to know that the CDC... And the FDA, like your name is, is being spoken. I mean, I, I know that has to be the case. Sure. But it's also I weird. Proof of it, yeah. Know? It's I, like, I a, did, I ever, did I ever tell you the story about the first time we went to the CDC? I don't know if maybe, but tell uh, it again. If I'm telling it again, cause this is, this is really, it's really my beef with, with, with internet journalism. Right. Because in the end, there really is a problem with stating things as facts or doing reporting where you're not getting secondary sources and getting multiple perspectives of a point, right? We all know that in a car accident, there's multiple opinions and perspectives on how that accident happened. You need witnesses and you need to hit it from several different sides. Yeah, Some may be lying or they may just didn't see the whole thing, right? Yeah, And that's life, right? And so often, I mean, I'll see, you know, stories about how I'm controlled opposition, you know, and which I always say to anyone that says that. So explain to me how that ends. I mean, I don't want to get off on this controlled opposition conversation. It's just one of these things I see. And, and but what exactly does, what does that mean actually? Um, that I'm essentially, I guess I'm working for Pfizer or I'm working for the <laughs> CDC or I'm really working for, uh, I guess the CIA. A, this is a real to, long to con then. Cause I don't see how this is a really long genius con that I'd really like to know how it ends. Right. And for anyone that says it, exactly what is my big diabolical plan? Talk about plan? conspiracy I theorists. I crushed the COVID vaccine, <laughs> did nothing but assault the CDC and FDA, dragged them into courtrooms, showed the world things that they never wanted to admit, made the entire world start talking about vaccines when they were silenced about it. But in the end, I really was doing it for Pfizer because in the end, my plan is to <laughs> fill the blank. Like, I'm going to say, what is it going to be? At some point, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm wrong. I just discovered vaccines are great. And the millions of you following me, let's go get it. And you're all going to follow me like lemmings. Come on. You know, like how would it work? So anyway, but the point being, I'll see people lay out my life, you know, well, his parents were actors. So therefore he's an actor. He's always learned. He's learned the ability to play somebody else. It's not really him. And oh, then, you gave it up today know, on the, with the method acting. Right, exactly. I did. <laughs> and then people say, see, I knew it. I, I read that. It's true. <laughs> and then they'll go and he worked for the doctor's television show, which had funding from pharma and, 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 and it would, it, does anyone actually believe you would leave an Emmy award winning television career to, to go off into a non-funding space and be attacked by New York times. Come on. That makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. I mean, you have to be crazy to make the decisions yeah. I made. Right. Yeah. So as they lay it out, I'm like, yeah, all of that is true. Only one problem. I'm not what you're saying there. Like, so you need a different perspective. You need to talk to people closer to me. You need something else. So all of that to say, love it. Here's a perfect example. And again, when people say, you know, some of those doctors had been killed and they'll say, you know, you know, those doctors were murdered by CIA or the fires. It's like, I don't know that. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to back up that. Um, you know, I, I, it's possible, but I don't have time to investigate it. And I'm certainly not going to, get behind that story and, and find that because 
you need multiple sources. You know, were they speaking out against vaccines? Yes. Were they doing some cancer research? Yes. Did they die of a strange, you know, they get shot in the chest? And yeah, I mean, but I don't know. They weren't having an affair with somebody and the husband got pissed. I mean, there's so many different things that could explain that. All right. So here's my, my true story of how a story could be mistold and could affect you forever. We are, Aaron and I decided we need to start nipping this vaccine thing in the bud. There's this meeting. In fact, he called me. He said, did you know that they have open meetings at the CDC with this committee called the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices? By the way, that advisory committee who just, who just put this COVID vaccine on the schedule, no news agency ever knew they existed. They were quietly doing this. If you asked anybody what ACIP is five years ago, they would have had no clue. This is, again, one of the things we did that people just didn't realize. Aaron said, let's start going to these meetings. This is where they're taking the vaccines and putting them on the schedule. So, and they have public comment. No one's showing up except a bunch of Pfizer execs to say how great the vaccine is. Let's start showing up and giving the other perspective. So it's the first time. It was me, Aaron. And Jimmy, my manager who travels with me, and we're going to go to the first ASIP, check this thing out, right? And so it's early on. I mean, I think it's probably early 2017. So I've had a year with Vaxxed, um, been very outspoken speaking at Capitals. And I think, I think we'd already probably won one or two of the, the lawsuits against the C, uh, HHS. And uh, so we're driving up and Aaron's like, I wonder if they know who you are. Because by the way, we had to submit our names it's for an FBI background check to be allowed onto the CDC campus. And so Jimmy and Aaron are just having a rouse about like, I wonder if they know who Dell is. Like, what is like when he gets here? Like, is everyone going to be like, the heads are going to turn and this and that. And, you know, like, I wonder how, if he, it was amazing to let you do the background check, Dell, you know, and I, we're all laughing and everything. And so, you know, they bomb check your car when you drive in, which is wild. They got the mirrors underneath and everything. And actually, if, I think it was Jimmy that was driving and he pulled forward too fast and went the wrong spot. And they're like pulling guns like, whoa, whoa, Jimmy, just stop, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I guess they want you to stop right here. Anyway, we get the car parked and then you walk into the, the big building where they're having this meeting. And there's a bunch of like four police officers sitting there. It's just like going to an airport, right? There's a, a giant scanner you walk through, your wallet and everything. And I walk up and, and they say, your name, please. And I say, Del Bigtree. He goes, oh, Del Bigtree. And he turns like to like, you know, there's police for like the next 20 feet. And he shouts out to them, if Del Bigtree's here. And they all look over at me and I'm like, oh, holy cow, it's true. Like, they know who I am. This is crazy. So I kind of like just sign and go, well, I mean, it's a bit like they live, you know what I mean? Like, the, like you know, you, you realize that all of the, you know, zombies are watching you and you're like, they know you're, you got blood pumping in your face. Like they all just turn their eyes on me. It's like a science fiction movie. I'm like, whoa. So I just quietly sign and I walk through the scanner and I grab my stuff. And now I'm like, oh my God. Like, I mean, I, I'm immediately thinking, geez, I wonder if they're tapping my phone. I mean, like all of it's going now, right? The whole world is watching me. These people are on me. Luckily, Aaron Siri's behind me. He steps up to the table and says, I'm curious, why, why do you know who Del Bigtree is? And he goes, oh, I don't. We just saw all the names on there, and this Del Bigtree name was weird. We just thought, I wonder what that guy looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's how we started the last episode, right. asking you about your name. Right. I love right. it. So 
That's it, right? Had that question not been asked, do you know how much more paranoid my life changes in that moment? And, and this is, it's such a learning lesson for all of us that we're just not getting all the information. We're making judgments about each other. We're making judgments about ourselves. And how much of it is lack of information, right? Aaron, luckily, Aaron asked a very simple question. I should have asked it, too afraid to, like sure. already jumping into my conclusions of what it means. Yeah. And now I'm under surveillance everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank God he asked that question. Now I still walk around freely, whether I should be or not. Even though you're under surveillance. <laughs> you know, I always love, I always love the point. Just, be, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not trying to kill you. <laughs> so let's do this. I, let's wrap. We talked about freedom of speech earlier. Let's talk Alex Jones coming on the highway. Yeah. And um, he's obviously. Oh, man. God, that was. I mean, you, it had to have been challenging for you. I know you, we had talked about it a little bit before, or I guess right after your, your audience was kind of a mixed bag about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I really am. I, I don't, first of all, I don't really know how to lie. I, I very early on, I sucked at it. Parents caught me. Dad would catch me every time. My sister, genius liar, right? I mean, not, I'm sorry. She's, she's grown out of everybody. She's grown out of <laughs> But growing up, like I was just nailed to the wall every time. And I will say now, like, and, and I say this to the New York Times, Washington Post, when they're interviewing me, I say, do you realize I have been free flowing with you for an hour and you're trying to search for some hidden thing that I've got? Do you think a person could do this if they didn't believe what they were saying? Like if I was trying to hold together some facade or set of lies I wouldn't be able to do this with you. Like, and, and, and the truth is, is I'm too lazy to lie. <laughs> it's just, it's way too much work to lie, right? Yeah. So I'm going to be really transparent. And here's the transparency. There were people really important on my team that didn't want to do Alex Jones. I mean, we, we had to debate this even amongst ourselves. Oh, interesting. All right. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's all, let's interview Alex Jones. Um, this is, you know, this is why, you know, I'm the CEO of ICANN. Um, I'm the host of The High Wire, but I'm also the executive, you know, I'm the lead executive producer. And I get to do, in the end, what I want. Um, and I, you know, my team, I trust them implicitly. They made really brilliant points. I took all of that in. And, and they were, it wasn't like anyone was like, you know, Stonewall were like holding the line. They said, okay, Dell, it's your call. And so we made that call. Um, there's a lot of reasons though why you would think not to do it, right? Um, the biggest issue, and, and, and this is the fundamental one, and, and I stated it before I, at the very top of going into this interview, is we live in this weird time in journalism now where people believe that if you're interviewing someone, you're aligned with them. Right. This is what media yeah. and this is this shows you the absolute destruction of what journalism should actually be. And I said, I understand why you all feel that, because that's what the news has become. The news has become a propaganda machine. If you're watching MSNBC, you're agreeing with everything every liberal expert and pundit has to say. They're not real interviews. They're softballs in their propaganda systems. And so. And Fox the same way. If you have a Republican bend, you're going to get all the people to tell you what you want to think. I said, I come from a different school of journalism, which is Barbara Walters would cut off her arm to be able to interview Osama bin Laden or, you know, those types of people. 
And, and as I said at the very, you know, when we were started this conversation, I'm fascinated by people. I mean, God, how fascinated. I mean, I would be, it'd be amazing to get to go back in time and interview Hitler. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would love to be outside of any book anyone's written about this guy for my, this is who I am. I want to know for myself. I have questions. I know nobody's ever asked. I want to ask those questions. Yeah. Right. That's who I am. Um, it doesn't mean I align with you. It doesn't mean I am saying it's okay what you've done. I have questions. You are, uh, you know, especially of people that are having a real impact on the world around us. And anyone that says Alex Jones isn't that, and I don't think anyone would argue that he's not, right? Mm-hmm. I think everyone that it's amazing how many people know who he is that have never watched a second of the man speak, you know? So he, was a part, he was a huge voice in an election. Uh, Hillary Clinton's mentioned, Alex Jones is right there. And so for all of those reasons, um, I decided, I think this guy's fascinating. And, um, and I had seen, you know, and look, we are, we are in similar, it's not like we're, uh, you know, in diametrically different atmospheres or worlds. We cross mingle, we interview a lot of the same people. We're both in Austin, Texas now. I will hear a, somebody I've been trying to interview say, I'm going to be on Alex Jones, so I'm going to be in Austin. You know, it would be a good time to grab me. And so I do. And so there's that going on. I also have appeared on Alex Jones and, and Owen Troyer's show and, and Rob Dews, you know, because in, in that case, and there's, by the way, just doing that, people say, why are you appearing on Alex Jones? That undermines your credibility. And I will say, I will appear almost anywhere with a few exceptions, you know, where there is a large audience. And I, and I said this to the New York times, like you speak only at Republican events. Therefore you are using the Republican party as sort of a launch space for your ideas. I said, no, that is not true. I am appearing in front of every audience that will hear me because I believe my message is important for every human being alive. And if the Democrat party would invite me to the Democratic Convention. I would speak there in a heartbeat, full-throated um, to them. I am here with a message that is for everyone on the planet, and so that's why I go on Alex Jones. Huge audience there, and so there's when you watch what's happening to Alex Jones. This is truly an attack, knowingly funded, literally by finances coming from. Uh, Democrat-driven lobbies and lobbyists and, and, and financial. They are using this in a multifaceted approach to try and attack uh, conservatives, uh, who they listen to, their media. But most importantly, it truly is an attack on, on your First Amendment right to free speech. And it all revolves around this horrible issue of Sandy Hook. And I have had friends and people around me uh, say Sandy Hook is a false flag event. And I know I'm aware that that's coming from Alex Jones on some level. And every time that conversation has come up, I will say, I'm sorry, that's going too far for me. That sounds batshit crazy. Um, Nothing. I mean, look, I'm not whatever. I don't know where Alex's information is coming from, but honestly, it, 
on that level, I'm just not prepared to go there. I just, I'm not There's sure. There's no way to confirm. I'm not sure what you would be able to show me yeah. to make me think because I don't, before I get to just the science and provability of something, I have to under, there has to be a, I'm, I'm a, a study of humanity. I study human beings. I would have to understand the motivation. I would have to understand how you would hide that. I would have to understand the types of people. Where would you find children to march across the screen? This is where my mind goes. Yeah. They would all be involved in that. And then where would they hide the rest of their lives? I mean, there's just, there's just too much that defies my space of reason, right? Yeah. I'm not a flat earther uh, because it doesn't matter how many questions you ask. There are laws of nature that I see around me that, I, I see a centrifugal force to life. The force of life is round. It moves in round. I think, you know, energies flow in around. And I remember I got to meet one of the lead um, flat earthers. And, and that's a beauty of, you know, being who I am. I do speak at these conspiracy conventions though I, you know, don't think of myself as a conspiracy theorist. I'm, I'm pointing out using scientific evidence of, of the things I'm investigating. But again, large audience here, yeah. I'll show up. So I get to meet, you know, some of these people that have thoughts that, and they're the best of the best. I remember talking to that person and said, so I don't understand. Like everything is round. It would make sense that pressure from an atmosphere or outward pressure of something spinning, that that object is going to be round. You're saying it's flat. And so are you telling me then that we're the only flat like disc thing floating in space, but the moon is round and Saturn's round or are those flat things too? And I remember this guy said, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I only know I'm still seeing articles about him. He said, no, those are projections that are being put out there to fool us. And I said, wait a minute. Like we're living in a giant planetarium and that's just, he's like, yeah, essentially. And I'm like, okay, I'm out. I'm that's out. So- I mean, I, I need a better, I need a better, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's a hell of a projector, by the way. That is you know what I mean? Fascinating. Right? I mean, I just, so, but it isn't, it isn't all the questions about looking and, you know, flying and all those. I mean, I, I get those questions, but I, it's just my sense of roundness that gets in the way yeah. and my sense of Einstein. Like I say, so Einstein wasn't only using more of his brain than the rest of us. He was building a fake construct because he would have had to know that we're not round, that the theories of relativity wouldn't hold up. But he built theories of relativity and math that still other math stacks on through decades after him and it still holds true, but it's all in a fake world. I mean, that genius, that's more genius than I can comprehend. Fair. Right. Yeah. So those are yeah. the types of things. Yeah. So again, Sandy Hook, those are, th- those are the types of things my brain goes through as soon as I hear that. Yeah. Uh, which is why I would know where I would want to investigate if I'm going to investigate. I would immediately call those parents. I would, you know, like want some answers and I just never went there. It wasn't important. So. I think Alex Jones made a, you know, a terrible decision. Uh, and, and I was curious why, like, who told you, where did your information come from? And I'm never really, I don't watch his show, you know, um, to be honest, I don't watch anybody's show. People are like, who do yeah. you watch? Uh, it takes a lot of time to do the work I'm doing. Yeah. I'm kind of self-absorbed in what I'm doing. You know? <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm really working all day, every day, watching videos, information, where's, who said this on what panel? Did anyone refute it? 
I am doing an investigation constantly to bring the show so that it's accurate on every Thursday. That's where I'm focused. So not against Alex Jones, but I, I don't know what his answers to those things were. But it wasn't the heart of what this is about. I still will say, as horrific as it must be, and I laid that question on him multiple times as hard as you could. Can you imagine being a parent that has gone through an, ish, an incident that I can't imagine anything more horrifying, as bad as it gets. The worst case scenario in a lifetime. I don't know how anyone gets through it. I don't know how you can ever emotionally make it okay or right or believe in God after that. It challenges everything we know to be healthy in this world. To go through that and then have someone out there saying on top of that, you're full of shit and your story is not true and your child either did or didn't. It's, it's as awful as it gets. Um, but it's still just a person's opinion. And if our laws don't protect the ugliest among us, it doesn't protect the best among us. And I'm not, and I don't want to say that as Alex is the ugliest, I believe this is an ugly moment. And, and he admits now coming from, you know, a series of issues he's dealing with and not the least of which, and this is, you don't want, you want to know why I really wanted to interview him is because I guess in everything, you kind of see some part of yourself in them and something you're taught in acting, right? In, in order to play a role, I have to find some part of this human being that, that opens up a key into me that I can trigger, that, that I can find an understandable sentiment. I cannot play someone I completely don't understand. So I, I personalize every Bill Gates, Tony Fauci, you know, what part of me do I see in that? And with Alex, it's not hard. And so I know I'm the king of long answers. I, I hope this I is love the, the world's love longest long podcast. But I got invited to go see Alex Jones's documentary, Alex's War. And um, this was just a you know couple month or so before I interviewed him. But when I saw it, first of all, there's a lot of things I didn't know. There's a lot of things about his career. Like I say in my interview, I didn't know he was the guy that infiltrated the, um, uh, what's it called? That yeah, Bohemian, Bohemian Grove. Grove. I didn't know he was the guy I didn't that, know that, that, either. that got in there. And no so shit. Uh, I'd always heard some reporter did it. Someone went in with cameras, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until that film I was like, oh my God. That was Alex Jones all the way back then. That's crazy. Crazy. You know, so it, it, the documentary definitely gave me some context on this career he'd had and sort of how vigilant he'd been. It also showed I'd forgotten because I remember when I first heard about him, it was all of my Obama loving friend. I mean, it was all the, you know, sort of anti-Bush people that ultimately voted for Obama that loved him. They, they were like, yeah, he's against George Bush. This guy's great. He's calling out this fake war in Iraq and all this. Like, awesome, man. I didn't, still didn't watch him then, but sounds cool. And then all of a sudden, those same people were like against him two years later because he was after Obama for the <laughs> same thing. <right? laughs> but watching that documentary, it's like, okay, so he's been pretty consistent. But what bothered me about it, and, and nothing against filmmakers, she does a really lovely job, but He's being interviewed in that documentary by someone that has no idea what it's like to be him. You know, it's, it's a bit of a, I want to say fangirl, but just a, a filmmaker sort of telling these parts of his life. And I just thought, and, and to be honest, he is a, I am a documentary filmmaker. So I was like, in, 
if I had two weeks, I could make people really feel this story and understand it better. Because someone needs to interview him that is in a similar predicament. Not exactly, but there's things I understand about what it is to be Alex Jones that your average person doesn't. I understand what it's like to step off of a bus and have hundreds of people wanting your autograph, wanting to touch you, hold you, think you're you know, changing the world for whatever that is. I also know that as the same, I know what it's like to be, have all those people gathered around me, loving everything I do. And yet in the newspaper right next to me in the newsstand, I'm a baby killer, right? So the juxtaposition of massive entities having opinions about me and who I am, I get that. And so I wanted to interview him and ask him the hard questions, not from somebody that actually doesn't know what he's going through. See, I want to ask you the hard questions almost as in peer to peer. And that's what I think I do in that interview. And I think it's why it's everyone that watches say, I've never seen that interview of Alex Jones because it's real and it's raw. It's personal. And it's, it's, it's personal from a place of, having some sense of what's up. And I don't ever want to find myself losing court cases for a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, just the insanity of that. And though, and, and, and by the way, this is something I do have to think about. I do run some of the more difficult conversations we're going to have, vaccine injury stories or things like this through Aaron to say what is the appropriate way to say this so that it cannot be taken out of context. And now that's going to be even more difficult. The, these, what they've done is lowered the bar on free yeah. space to a place. Now everyone around me is saying, Dell, you've never said anything like Alex Jones. I, I know that, but that shouldn't have been illegal either. And so how low is this bar? And here's one thing's for sure. We know they're lowering that bar to try to get to people. Yes. Right. And so, all of that makes this a very important story for me. It's personal, right? I'm not condoning it, but we all need to understand it. And we need to understand it as a society to say, is it, are we all willing to give up this level of protection that our government has given us because we are so um, angry about the things he said? Because I assure you, we all, in that $1 billion settlement, we all just lost a piece of our freedom. And we've shown every over American has. time that we've continued to give up that freedom. That's it. That's it. And so, you know, um, and, and I will say this. I think the thing, you know, for people that maybe won't go and watch it because there are people that watch my show say, I'll never watch you again. I refuse to watch that interview. I think that's unfortunate. I think it's unfortunate that we've reached a place in a world where we're so hard in our opinions, we can't even listen to the other side. I think we have to. I think people that believe in abortion should really listen to the arguments of those uh, that don't, and vice versa. We don't have to agree, but we're all human beings in this. And there's some fairly articulate and reasonable points on all sides of almost every conversation we're having. And, and I would say the same thing about this vaccine issue. I so want to interview Paul Offit. Um, who is a big vaccine maker, very outspoken. I, I, I reach out to him once a year. He always kindly turns me down. <laughs> but I don't think that interview would be what he thinks it would be. 
I think he thinks it'd be me attacking and trying to out him. And the truth is, is that I would really like to understand him because I see him say things that I really relate to. He'll, he was one of the first to say your kid should get a fever. You're rushing off and putting Tylenol on a kid. Bad idea. Fevers are important. At this point, you know, it's all part of, you know, and I'm like, holy cow. So we're aligned there. Yeah, that's interesting. You know what I mean? We're aligned there. And so if we're aligned in certain places, why don't we, why can't we have a public conversation just where we differ and why? No one has to come out winning, but the world should understand why we agree on certain things, but don't on others. I think it's unfortunate we're not having those conversations. But when it comes to Alex Jones, I think what's important, and it's important, the personal investigation for me that you watch there is Alex Jones has gotten a lot of this right. And frankly, you can look back 20 years ago-ish. I know at the exact point he starts his cable access show. But I play at the top of his interview. Look what he said 20 years ago. He literally describes the moment we are in right now as though he is looking at a crystal ball. And he has been shouting about it literally for, <laughs> day for, yes. for that 20 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you got to give the guy, you can't just write this guy off, right? There, it, just because he makes some mistakes, um, that there's something there and he deserves to be honored for having predicted this and warned us. And you must also understand and have some level of empathy for the frustration there must be in a human being that is seeing the writing on the wall 20 years out, the enemy is coming. Paul Revere has been on the horseback for 20 <laughs> fucking years. All right, he's tired. He's pissed off and we're really still asleep and he's like freaking out, okay? So. <laughs> and what happens to a person that has been trying to get this through for so long. And now we may lose this. I mean, the truth is, is we are at that place. It's end game now. He knows it, you know, but when you're, you know, when you are that battle weary, and by the way, people are like, I hate the way he speaks. I hate the way he puts things. And I thought to myself, I, I haven't been in the military, but I've watched a lot of military movies. It's, it's kind of a stupid thing to say, but it's all I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got yeah, the yeah. platoons and the full metal jackets. <laughs> and the thing is some understanding. I'm hoping there's some reality to that. But in every movie about a group of guys that are fighting for our freedoms and, you know, whether it's World War II or whatever, there's always that character in there that's usually, you know, a little bit bigger than everybody else has got the, you know, the, 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 the bullets wrapped all around him, smokes a cigar, yeah. talks, you know, in really bad language about everyone around them and is quite disgusting, except, you know, he's the guy that will be leading point charging every bunker there is. And for whatever reason, he doesn't die. And if you're next to him, neither do you. Right. <laughs> And I realized that's kind of who Alex Jones is, yeah. right? He's that guy. This guy has been charging this bunker every day of his life for us. Get next to me. I got this right. Trust me. Now, he doesn't always have it right. Neither does the guy charging the bunker. But he has the balls and the wherewithal to get through that. And he never backs down. And his fearlessness is what protects him, right? And so mistakes will be made through that vision. But, I mean, look, that's not the guy you have deciding the fate of the military. He's not your general, right? He's not the guy dictating our battle plan. He's the guy charging the bunker for us, telling if you're going to do this, this is how we do this, right? From that vantage point. 
And so that's how I think people should see him, right? He's that rough character that maybe you don't have him babysit your children, (laughs) right? right? right, right. But if you're in a war, man, that's the guy you want in your foxhole with you. Yeah. All right. And you're going to tell him, watch it. There's some, you know, nice people around, (laughs) you know, don't let him drink today, (laughs) you know? Um, And also, and he would admit that, and this is a problem for all of us. And it's what I said at the end. One thing I want everyone to learn from this interview is we all have a weakness called confirmation bias. Uh, It's the problem in the world we live in today. It's the problem of science. Science, the scientific method knows confirmation bias, which is I'm going to do studies and do everything I can to prove I'm right. The scientific method demands the opposite be true, that we bring in outside entities to challenge the science, to challenge the product with a belief that it's wrong and bring every attack against the theory or the product that you can. If it survives a full frontal attack with all the knowledge you have coming from the opposite direction, a total pessimism, um, then and only then do we say it's safe. Then and only then do we say that that theory holds up. Science is dead right now because it's only allowing the science that says it's right to exist. Vaccine science is all being done by zealots that believe it's the greatest invention of the 20th century. That's our problem. And so that confirmation bias, I have the same problem. Every time someone tells me, oh, I have a friend with lupus, or I see Lady Gaga can't go on tour because she has some autoimmune disease, or I see Celine Dion just canceled her concert. My first thought is, did they get the COVID vaccine? Or yeah, Bieber. Right, Bieber. Off tour. You know, all of this. It's, it's just where I'm at. And, and it's my lens, right? It's what I know. Now, I will tell you, I run it through. I've even said on the show, look, I'm questioning these people's because those are side effects that we know of. I brought up Bieber on my show, but that doesn't mean that is the, right. the cause. And with our team, we read team a lot. Let's not fall prey to believing everything is falling within our lens. And I think for Alex, when you have seen as much corruption and you've been detailing as much corruption as lies as there is, 9-11 being, you know, one of those big ones. There's yeah. people divided on that. Um, I'm not going to, I don't feel like inciting that conversation. We That's on for fair. days. Yeah. But I think it's reasonable to have questions about 9-11, which would mean people were murdered in this country by our own government, right? And that bombs were set off. I mean, all of that, I actually do think uh, is in a realm of possibility. Yeah, I don't it's very think plausible. It, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. And so- for someone that truly believes they've, and has, I think my mom just shit her pants over right, there. Right. She's like, what, 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 what? So, <laughs> so, so for someone that has interviewed far more people on topics like that, has a lot more evidence that backs up that particular perspective. Um, you could see how you start losing all reality that everything is a totally everything starts especially as you just start waking up to any of it you're just like it's all lies and add to that and i brought this up a little bit with him add to that the fact that his show is every single day for i don't know three or four hours wow okay every day so he doesn't do and i said you're doing a different show than i am you know i purposely and i've said this to my audience the high wire is not attempting to tell the story first i'm not trying to break the story first I want the high wire. I want you to know that when we do break the story, we've done everything we can to vet it to make sure it's right. 
And that's that's our claim. There are other people that are beating me to stories. I they're juicy. I'd love to be able to say, oh, I got it first. But some of them and some of them proved to be wrong. They're dangerous. And I don't believe we can afford to get it wrong. Uh, There's too much scrutiny on us. I'm attacked and said I'm spreading misinformation. I can honestly say and I just said to was it New York Times, one of the major newspapers just recently. I challenge you. Oh, it's Bloomberg. I believe. I challenge you to find a statement that I have made that, it, uh, that I cannot back with science because you're attacking me right now. Don't, don't just give me a general attack. What specifically did I say? And, and in the whole context of how I said it, let me show you the evidence. I'm pretty sure I did on my show too. They haven't come back. Um, but <laughs> Alex is doing a daily show and I have thought, and, and I, we have talked about doing a daily show. My show's too long. I don't want a three-hour show. Mm-hmm. It started out as a one-hour show. I get it. Short is faster. can be shared more. There's just too much happening in my yeah. space to contain all of it into one hour. Like, there's just too much. We're literally not getting to everything. And so we've told people, break up the show. We're cutting it apart. As soon as it's done, watch it piece by piece. So it's more like, you know, a half hour or 45 minutes. But then we said, why don't you just do another, do every show? You should be doing every day, Dell. Do you know, I mean, people don't realize how much staff that would take. You know, I have, you know, a limited staff. We get good funding. We're not funding anything like CNN. I keep asking for it. Someone wants to fund me like CNN or Fox. I'll be there every day. And by the way, we'll put up five other shows that are there every day that have full staffs of 100 people that are doing nothing but vetting the story of the day, talking to all of our scientific people around the world, double, triple, seeing it from every perspective, like I said, so that we make sure we get it right. Um, We don't have that staff. We have the ability to take the stories we're looking at and from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Thursday morning up into the show, we're on calls all around the world, making sure we have got this story right. And there are stories that get cut seconds before we go on, which is mm-hmm. a little intimidating. It's why I call it the high wire. I mean, you have no idea going out on that high wire and people like, you know, think I do it live because I love that challenge. It's dangerous. The words that come out of my mouth, my mouth never get to get erased. I know those that are against me are recording. Even if we took the show down, it won't matter. They are recording me the moment they're waiting for me to make a mistake. So as I'm up there with no script, just stating my opinion, I'm doing it. With all the knowledge I have from the last three and a half days of investigation into all of our stories, I have a great team around me. But if I slip up or say something stupid, it's game over. So, I, and I should be doing a tape show. It'd be a lot safer. I can cut out anything I got wrong. I don't. I love, I love that challenge. I love stepping out there and knowing there's an excitement to it. You can feel it when we do the show. Um, that's what I love. And, and so ultimately, though, I'm not doing it every day. And there's no way. Because I've seen, I've been over at Alex, I've seen his staff. It's great staff, but he's, he's, he's giving opinion four hours a day. Yeah. You're just going to get things wrong. There's just, there's just no way around it. And by the way, every news agent, this is my point. Every news agent that wants to make him a bad guy, CNN, MSNBC, Rachel Maddow, you name it, whoever it is, they all told people to go out and get this COVID vaccine saying it would stop their transmission. That was a lie. There are children that have died from this vaccine. There are people that are dying. There are people that are getting cancer. There are heart attacks being caused. I believe all of those agencies came out against ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Historically, we will look back and say you would have saved somewhere between a half million, 800,000 people had that product been allowed. 
And those news agencies propagandized the attack upon the drugs that actually work. They supported Paxlovid, which we just found out last week is now cross-reacting with virtually every major medication people take and causing blood clots, heart attacks. It is a horrible drug, has none of the safety that ivermectin had. And so the blood of, you know, as, as reporters now, are we going to give them the same benefit of the doubt? You got it wrong. Should they go to court? Mm -hmm. Should they? And by the way, Alex Jones didn't kill anybody. He makes the best point he makes in his own case. He says the lawyer, I forget the name of the shooter, but this is the point. He names the shooter and says, what about him? And the guy says, who's that? He's like, that's my point. You don't even know who the guy is named that when I say that killed these kids, but you know, my name, you say Sandy Hook, everyone knows Alex Jones, name the shooter. Go on, go down the street and try it. Wow. Sandy Hook. Who, who do yeah, you think zero of? Chance. Alex Jones. Who killed him? I don't know. That's insane. And that shows the manipulation of the media that we know more about a guy that had an opinion that was wrong about the story than the actual guy that committed this atrocity. And I believe it's an atrocity. What many in news did. I believe that there, there should be responsibility for the amount of people that will die because you propagandized against products that could have saved lives and for a product that does kill people. Uh, and that's the context with which I interview Alex Jones. I don't agree with Sandy Hook. It's a horrible moment. He regrets it. Um, but um, we are all capable of making a mistake. We're all capable of being bad people. We're all capable of having bad moments. We're all capable of being Nazis. And COVID proved how quickly that could happen. Mm. So instead of judging people like Alex Jones, why don't we take a moment to listen to him? Why don't we take the heed, you know, and, and the warning and recognize, you know what? I've made some bonehead decisions myself and I don't have cameras rolling on me all the time when I made my bonehead decisions and recognize we should all strive to be better people and only in understanding each other. can. Boom. Well, you didn't come with much fire today. <laughs> <laughs> We'll link to that episode in the show notes. Um, I can decide.org for uh, more information on I can. The highwire.com can get you to I can decide.org. The highwire.com, you know, look, I'm so proud of my team. Uh, the work that we've done yesterday's show, I said was the biggest I told you so of all that we've had yet. I mean, I hate saying it sounds kind of cocky and I really sort of held back the energy on that because in the face of that vote, but it was really important to show that though they're trying to tell you the science changed and we found out that, you know, it doesn't, you know, stop transmission, that that only was discovered, that's baloney. I announced affirmatively and so did Jeffrey Jackson on our show before a single person had received that vaccine in the world, uh, trials were going on. We told them they didn't test for transmission. This thing is not going to stop transmission. And here's how we prove it. We showed that evidence. That evidence has been in everyone's hands for two years. So I'm glad the EU is waking up as of last week, hearing it from Pfizer. I'm glad many people woke up when Deborah Burke said it three weeks ago. I always knew it didn't stop infection. Amazing she's not being indicted right away for, for you know, attack on innocent people as a, as a government official. But if you were watching the high wire, you knew unequivocally and had the evidence in your hands before anyone got this vaccine. And that's, that's something that the cameras are rolling and I stand in that. And I love how we've aged compared to every other mm, news agency. It has aged very well. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. That's so great. Love you, man. Thanks for having me. Love you too. Yeah. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. 
For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearned.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.